0: Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers episode 60. Adventure stinks. I'm and with me, as always, is my buddy Matt.
1: Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Uh, Not a very good accent.
0: Not great. This
1: episode, we are continuing our reread of A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. We're doing it in a special reading order. Uh, We call Feast Dance. And uh, so we're taking chapters from each one to, to... read along chronologically throughout these two awesome books. So the chapters that we're covering this episode are John five and Tyrion six from a dance with dragons. Then we're hopping over to a feast for crows and reading the princess in the tower. Then back to a dance with dragons for the merchants, man and Danny four. So cool to read these chapters in this order, by the way. Awesome. So cool. Learn so much more than reading uh, Feast for Crows first all the way through and then dance of Dragons all the way through. But anyways, excited yeah, for that.:
0: it's, it's been a plus minus game a little bit, but but this, this episode for sure it's a plus. yeah agreed. Yeah. Some announcements. indeed. So first
1: of all show season just started we just had uh, the first yeah. episode last sunday for us it is um thursday the 20th here for us right now so just uh less than a week ago we had episode one of season seven i watched it scott you did not right i did not know okay um scott and i have said one sentence to each other about it <laughs> and that is pretty much the extent to which we will talk about it in public as well. Uh, so just a reminder on Davos Fingers' approach to the show, I'll just kind of give our overall approach, and SCAD will add something else to, to it. Um, we uh, simply just hold to the books on this podcast. We we don't spend a lot of time bashing the, book, the show, nor do we spend a lot of time lauding the show. Uh, we just simply don't talk about it. We have our reasons. Uh, but the biggest reason is, is that our podcast focuses on the books. And so we will be talking about the books in our podcast all the time. Um, if you want to talk show with us, if you want to get a very, uh, apathetic, kind of view on the show, you can reach out to me on Twitter. It's at BraunTabulous. Braun is in Braun, the best character in A Song of Ice and Fire. Tabulous. And uh, you can ask me there and I'll give you half-hearted responses because I watch it very half-heartedly. But <laughs> uh, that's it. So, scad
0: Yeah, I don't have much to add. Um, I, I, I feel I, I just actually, 20 minutes ago before we started recording, I got into it with the. A... Got into it. Sounds so mean. Uh, Had a discussion with on Twitter. It was uh, bloody. uh, One of our followers, Mojo. Hey, Mojo. uh, Who was... Well, you had started a Twitter conversation earlier this week about... uh, Jokingly saying, well, we might bash the show. We can't promise anything or or something (laughs) to that nature. Yeah. And, you know, he came on and said, you shouldn't bash the show. It's very popular. It's very good. Your podcast is good. The show is good. Why can't you just, you know... And we got into it a little bit. And I think I came across hating the show or something i don't really i the show is high quality it's well done they've certainly diverted you know in certain areas from the plot but it's not meant to be the books right it's the show it's its own thing um but i don't hate it i just don't care about it uh, the the only the only negative emotion i have about it is you know when i feel like it's getting ahead and and maybe spoiling things that i'm waiting for in the books my main theory i said this a year ago when the show started up again i just want to hear george tell the story that's it I don't. It's not hatred or anger, really. Um, I just don't really care about the show and don't want to talk about it. But I don't. It's not hatred or like. I don't. I don't go out of my way to bash it or anything. Mm -hmm. Nor do I want to on this cast. So yeah, we'll mostly not talk about it.
1: And that was a very sarcastic tweet about the uh, about the. We can't help ourselves if we bash the show sometimes.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it was tongue in cheek. I think I just said that. But yeah. I mean. But but we have on occasion, and we've also sure. lauded occasionally with casting and things like that, but we don't talk about it much, period. Yeah. There, there was a little concern on, you know, from Twitter, like, please don't talk about it, please do, please don't. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change. We're, we're doing what we've always done. There's no, there's no change here. So yeah. if you've been happy with what you've heard, you're going to get more of the same.
1: As one of our other followers said, if we've, if we've uh, podcasted for 500 total minutes, we've maybe spent... Four hundred, I think you mean five hundred hours. Excuse, yeah, of course, uh, we've spent maybe four hundred ninety nine and three quarters <laughs> on the books,
0: and uh, yeah. that's how it'll probably continue. So, right, that's it. Yeah, cool. Uh, on an, on another note, and I, I would I would just warn to beware spoilers because it part of it is kind of spoilery. Uh, there was an interesting revelation since our last recording from George about something that's canon. You want to wade into that, Matt?
1: Yes. So I'm actually just pulling up the quote here because I had it and then I didn't. Cool story, huh? Um, Very cool. Yes. So probably many of you have seen this if you've been on social media at all. Uh, you've probably seen this uh, This. Piece of an interview that george gave just ahead of season seven uh regarding Barrack dung and he's talking about Barrick, and of course Barric was reanimated and everything talks about uh let's just go to the quote here his memories are fading this is george talking he's got all these scars he's becoming more and more physically hideous because he's not a living human being anymore his heart isn't beating his blood isn't flowing in his veins here it is ready Spoiler alert, he's a white, but a white animated by fire instead of by ice. And now we're getting back to the whole fire and ice thing. Close quote. Yeah. The sound of our brains exploding. Exploding. Yeah.
0: I heard the the brains exploding as if, what's the Obi-Wan thing? A thousand voices rang out. A mil- million voices? It
1: rang out in yeah. terror and was suddenly silenced.
0: Yes. <laughs> silenced by our own puzzlement. Yeah, cool, cool reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. You gotta wonder if George, like calculates these reveals like in this
1: interview i'm gonna finally reveal the fire white thing or if it just like if it's so ingrained into his being that he just like says it without even thinking it's just so matter of fact because it's a part of his story that he's lived with for however long he's lived with it and it's just like and it just comes out sometimes you know what i mean
0: yeah i do i i feel like if i were the creator of of content like this uh that i would i wouldn't i well i feel like i'd revel in in releasing these nuggets mm-hmm. but i don't i don't know that i'd plan it mm-hmm. i just kind of i'd i'd show up to one of these interviews and be like you know what yeah i'm going to say something i'm going to do it
2: here
1: we I'm go i'm going to say
0: something let's pick one you know <laughs> um and i'd relish it but i don't know that i'd like plan it out like all right in august i'm going to do this and then i'll wait 3 months to let it you know swell and then i'll do this and I don't think I'd plan it like that, but I, I would relish it. Yeah, yeah for sure. would like
1: to see the reaction to it and everything. So anyways, uh, we have got, and we don't have a huge sample size, but we've got these whites that are animated by fire instead of by ice. Mm-hmm. The only two I can think of, really, are Barrick and maybe uh, Lady Stoneheart, right? Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting to learn more about that. And they were both animated kind of in different ways. So... It'll be yeah. interesting to see how uh, how that all works out.
0: And uh, Lady Stoneheart, that's a bit of... Is that a spoiler for us at this point? I guess it's not. I don't know.
1: We met her... Did we? At the end they pulled, of Storm they the, of Swords,
0: right? They pulled the body out. Um, anyway. Everyone knows, Well, we right? had, we had Frey, okay.
1: who got killed by her in the pro, in the. Oh, yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Sorry. Okay. Okay, so... Last little announcement, um, and only just because I like to pat myself on the back, I'm that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten a little bit of love on the Twitter this week for thanks for recommending of King Killer Chronicles. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, someday, perhaps, I will be able to recommend a series that didn't get published ten years ago, uh, and I'll be cool and hip and with it.
1: Well, you've always got the uh, boxcar children. I think that one's all the way finished. <laughs>
0: the boxcar children. <laughs> Did I recommend that to you? No. But uh, anyway, uh, so you're welcome for King Killer. Keep reading, it, keep loving. It. I actually picked it up and started it again, uh, and I'm loving it again. Mm-hmm. And I know Matt's got it on his shelf and hoping to get there someday.
1: Hey, I'm uh, I'm on chapter three.
0: All right, chapter three.
1: I would love to read more of it.
0: Just you'll get there. It's just Don't adulting. Worry. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, I think that's it for announcements. Uh, So so we'll just jump right in. We are spoiler free uh, until the end of the podcast for a special segment called Davos After Dark. We'll warn you when that's coming with a special little jingle. What it means to be spoiler free is we're going to try (laughs) to not reveal anything beyond the chapters that we're reading (laughs) uh, in, in this episode. It gets pretty weird with the jumping around, Matt. I got to be honest. Yeah, we get. Uh, uh, yeah. Hopefully, they but,
1: understand why we sometimes get lost. Sometimes.
0: Uh, yeah, but ho- hopefully it's okay. We're not the most
1: um, careful of preparers, and uh, never have been. But it's just us. It's just obviously. I don't want un- to undersell
0: our prep either.
1: No, we we prepare meticulously, content-wise for these shows. But in terms of revealing spoilers and stuff, I don't pay oh, a lot yeah. of attention to that. Yeah, yeah. We the, the three weeks between these episodes are are with enough prep that I do very little with my free time besides yes read these books and make notes and do laundry on Monday nights. Yeah, that is pretty much my my evenings. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: But yes. All right, so there's that don 't worry about spoilers until the end of the episode with Davos after dark mm-hmm. done and if you want to
1: contact us, we love chatting with you all uh, through the twitter we're at uh, at davo's fingers we uh, on Facebook you can search for us davo's fingers there email we are davo's at gmail dot com or you can find us on Tumblr. Uh, you can also reach out to us at, well, by the way, our Tumblr is davosfingers.com. And then you can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash davosfingers. If you want to support us there, we'd, uh, we'd be much obliged, but we love you anyways, either way. You can learn more about uh, how to do that at uh, patreon.com slash davosfingers. So, shall we kick this off with our first POV of episode 60? Hey, that's kind of a nice milestone number, hey? Sixty episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I'll be more excited when we get to episode sixty-nine, but uh, not bad.
1: Obviously, you know we should look ahead in the chapters to see if there's anything special in episode sixty-nine. There might be something.
0: Yeah. There really ought to be.
1: There might be. I can think of a few things that
0: that are coming up.
1: Yeah, that might be helpful.
3: <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Where we're going up north where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf. his Jon
1: Snow. John awakes after pulling an all-nighter in the dusty, unkept Night's Watch library. Not all that dissimilar from what we saw of Sam not too long ago. And he's worried about Sam, as well as Amon and Gilly. The autumn storms have been rough on the seas, and he wonders if he just didn't send them to their graves sad but as john goes topside we discovered that the library is not all that more quiet than the rest of castle black right now if you remember stannis has gone south to chase down and woo the mountain clans of the north Uh, this leaves behind a rather quiet castle black as well as a conflict of food And men for Jon to attempt to resolve. Basically, the wall needs more defenders in order to defend it effectively. The problem is, after hosting Stannis' troops and agreeing to feed all the free folk, the Night's Watch finds its stores significantly depleted. So it's under those circumstances that John, with a pretty good-sized escort of watchmen, saddles up his horse and heads south to Mole's Town. Remember, that's the town that's closest to the wall. It's a small town, most of it underground, hence the name Mole's Town. On the way down, they see three trees carved with the faces of wildling gods. John thinks men do not give up their gods so easily and discusses with Dolores Ed the importance of not telling melisandra about this uh, a host of wildling refugees had taken up residence in the remains of mole town they're in a pretty poor state short on supplies and morale they're safe from the dangers beyond the wall but you know that really seems to be the only thing they've got going for them right now um as the Night's Watch wagons drop to the city, free folk emerge from their underground dwellings in droves. They'd done this dance before, lining up to receive the supplies being distributed by the Black Brothers, who had once, and maybe still were, their enemies. Uh, arguments soon break out at the scarcity of the supplies being handed handed out you're starving us claims one wildling but what they don't know is that by feeding them john is essentially starving his own men as well there's just not enough to go around a brief chaos ensues before john quiets everyone with a blow of a war horn and uh, then finally breaks his silence and uh, makes his sales pitch Yes, he admits food is a bit more plentiful at the wall. Do you want to eat better? John asks. Well, join us on the wall, he says. Fight for the watch against the mystical dangers beyond. The wall. His initial offer is met with disdain, and John can't fault them, reasoning that he would feel much the same if he was asked to make common cause with, say, the Lannisters. John persists, however, saying that he will not ask them to take vows, worship new gods, or otherwise change their lifestyle. It's spears, bows, and eyes that they need. He'll take boys above the age of 12, old men, wounded cripples, even women and girls, anyone willing to fight or otherwise help at the wall, and take orders. No kneeling be needed, but they will need to follow orders from their chain of command. So a young girl, barely 12 years old if that, is the first to volunteer, and with that, A small stream musters of young boys, spearwives, and battle-hardened and wounded men. They all step forward to defend the wall and hopefully get more food. Uh, More, even more, step forward when Halleck, the brother of Harma Dog's Head, throws his hat into the ring. A man of influence, John notes, as he recalls a statement by Mance that free folk don't care about trappings or rank. They follow strength. Mance said, they follow the man. So John returns to the wall with 63 new recruits, or 63 additional mouths to feed from Bowen Marsh's right. perspective. John orders them to be trained and then split up among the inhabited castles along the wall. Now, the question of loyalty still remains, however. Now, if an attack comes from the others, there's little doubt the free folk will stand shoulder to shoulder with the black brothers and defend the wall but what if tormund giant spain or other wildling leaders show up at the wall hmm who will the wildlings at the wall side with and jon admits that he can only hope that it never comes to that and uh end of chapter there
0: yeah here's what i think about that last little bit hmm. before we wait before we wade way in He's planning to split them up. You know, I mean, these 63 wildlings are going to end up, you know, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: a couple here, a couple there. Stretched awful far along the wall. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I don't, like, yeah, I mean, they could turn on them or something, maybe do some, through some subterfuge cause a problem, but the Knights' Watchmen are going to outnumber them and could overpower them easily. Sure, Um, it's a handful. You know, if, if, Mm -hmm. right, I mean, the biggest problem would be, like, if there were gates, which there aren't, because there's only, like, two gates total... You know, if they could just kind of open the latch and open a gate for people to come in, that would be bad. But uh, to me, the risk is minimal from that perspective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just my opinion.
1: Is that just Bowen Marsh being disagreeable and trying to do whatever he can to be heard?
0: Well, I don't think that he's necessarily wrong. Uh, sure. Like, like We've talked a, about it before. Yeah, yeah I, like, they can do a lot to, you know, undermine you know, by disagreeing with orders, or, you know, certainly the the women thing, which I think is, we know, we know the Knights' nice Watchmen run to Molestown to get laid every once in a while, there are women there, and it could cause a conflict, like, I don't, I don't think those are irrational things to be worried about, but I don't think overall the, you know, Tormund Giantsbane shows up and all of a sudden there's a swarm of wildlings from inside the wall taking his side, no, there might be like a handful, and guess what? Every night's watchman's going to be ready for that. Right. They'll look down and be like, "Wildlings." Yeah. Hmm. (laughs)
2: You
0: know, like it's not going to be that big of a surprise. Right. So I I don't think he's wrong, but I I don't think it's also a huge threat.
1: Right. I'd agree with you. I'd agree with you. Speaking of Bowen and his claims, Mm. John comes off as awfully dismissive. Yeah. Of Bowen. Um, Yeah. Do you think that's disrespect? on John's part or is it just John being so set in his mind that he's just going to do what he's going to do? And, and do you agree with John in doing what he's done or taking the stance uh, that he's taking with Bowen?
0: Look, leaders got to lead. So, you know, like he has to stick to his, he's got to stick to his guns a little bit. I mean, with, with how dismissive he is of Marsh, uh, of, uh, of, of Marsh, I think we get a little bit in in the chapter. I can't remember the, the exact way he says it, but like, he says this is the only song Bowen knows how to play anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's always the same thing. He's just kind of tired of hearing about it. We don't see all of the interactions. We have to trust from John that it happens all the time. And he's just getting tired of it, right? Um, so yeah, eventually he's just like, ugh, come on. But we see in his thoughts later, he's like, Bowen's a good dude, right? He he's a good guy. He just, you know, he's he's got this he's got this blind spot, and that's all he can see right now. And you have to wonder if he gives in
1: a little bit to Bowen, if Bowen's going to expect more and more and more and more and more. Uh, sometimes I, sure. we've talked about this before, but I feel like John could take Bowen, sit him down, and just try to explain where he's coming from. Yeah. On the other hand, like you said, we don't know how many conversations John has already had with Bowen, and if he's just decided this 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 will go nowhere. I'm not going to waste my time. I have yeah. 30,000 other things to do. I can't
0: sit and coddle Bowen Marsh all the time. And, and we don't know that he hasn't done that necessarily. We That's haven't what seen I mean. It. Yep. And, and, but the thing with, with Bowen too is like, he's kind of like that guy at work, that like he bitches all the time, but he never has any ideas. Mm-hmm. Of, like, how to solve the problem.
1: Oh, he has an idea seal the wall. Yeah, he's one with the one wild, idea with the wildlings
0: on the other side. Yeah, right. Yeah, the one idea. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it's just like, come on, dude, like, think of something else, yeah. another way to, you know, to lend a hand here. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, I, I think he could try harder.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. In the chapter, it talks about the film of cold grease that glistened (laughs) atop the remains of John's stew. (laughs) I literally wrote ew It's ew. It's very gross. But, you know, if you think about it, John's not eating. He's not sleeping. He's always got someone disagreeing with him. This is not a healthy lifestyle for Jon Snow. And yes, he's young and he's hardy. But you have to wonder at some point, when does he start to mentally and physically shut down and start to make mistakes? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you, I, you can't be at your mental, emotional, and even physical best when you're living the kind of lifestyle that Jon Snow's living right now.
0: Yeah, I I, I literally wrote and then I had to come back. I'm like, was I being sarcastic? I wrote, John has taken the leadership well. <laughs> and it was right after the, you know, the morning where he wakes up in in my notes. And yeah, I, it, it's sarcastic, right? It's like, he's struggling here. Mm-hmm. And and he says it later in the chapter. He says, like, I'm missing Sam. I'm missing Amon. I'm missing all these good men. Um, not even just the ones that he sent away, but, you know, the good men that died. That's true. I'm missing yeah. them that I could rely on. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's definitely eating at him. Right. And, and causing him to take on too much. It, at some point, it's it's going to be too much,
1: you have to think. And But he doesn't get vacation days. So, I don't know. I worry about the guy even at his young hardy age of 16, 17, however old John is right now. But,
0: yeah. No um, a lago for him.
1: <laughs> How many vacation days has there been? How many golf trips?
0: I don't I don't, I don't know. I'm not too I don't want to get into it. Um, yeah.
1: but if you and if you think about it compared to other lord commanders I feel like Jon Snow's scope of work and scope of responsibility is perhaps more than any Lord Commander in the history of the Night's Watch.
0: That's a bold claim. It is. Uh, but I, I mean, I we don't, we don't know through. a lot about some of them, but... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you got... Well, I, I mean, I, I'm just not making that claim out of
1: the air. And I could be wrong. You know, there's a lot of history we don't know yet, but... John Snow is not has decided that his job is not just to defend the wall; it is to defend the north. Yeah, and I know that you know by extension, defending the wall means defending the north. But and feed peasants, right? Exactly, and maybe not even defend to take care of. Yeah, the north. Yeah, he's decided that there's a bigger enemy, and that no matter what anyone says, he's going to keep his eye on the prize. He's not gonna do a. He's not gonna pull a Jor Mormont mission creep beyond the wall. And I know that could set up an argument. I'm sorry, but uh, that could be a whole nother thing. <laughs> he's not gonna fall victim to some sort of mission creep or something. He's gonna keep his eye on the prize, which is defending the wall from the bigger threat, defending the north, defending Westeros from the bigger threat of the others. And he's going to take flack from it from every turn, including those people he is trying to protect. And uh, But he's going to do it. And and I don't know. I feel like that scope of responsibility that John's taking on is willingly taking on, voluntarily taking on. It was his idea to take on is bigger than any uh, Lord Commander in the Night's Watch.
0: Well, I mean, I feel like simply the presence of the others being a real threat sure, puts him sure. near the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of them have been... Uh, what are they called? Uh, from <laughs> from one of my favorite plays, The Foreigner. Um, the main character is is noted as uh, "You were a good officer." He says, "Not much of a trick in peacetime," and <laughs> uh, you know most of these guys have not had to deal with you know the prime time enemy, any threat and, beyond the others. Yep. Yeah, it's a good beyond the wildlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so oh, wildlings, yes, please. Sorry. Um. So. You know, yeah, I, I think it puts him near the top of the list, at least just from that. The fact that the membership has shrunk adds to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly he's up there. I agree with you for sure. Yeah. How big of a disaster in hindsight was the great
1: ranging for the Night's Watch? Oh man, yeah. With John talking about all the people that they're missing and all of that, I mean, and the good he, he lists off the names: the Corn Halfhands, the Jarman Buckwells. He's got well, Jarman yeah. Buckwell I think died later, but so many good men lost at the Wall or lost on that great ranging it was just
2: oof
0: yeah you can agree it, it, or
1: disagree it, with the motives for going but the fact remains that it was a
0: devastating blow to the night's watch as a whole very um and but you know what they did something we don't talk about hmm. much if if at all or or haven't on this cast at least um they you know what they gained from that trip mm-hmm. was absolute certainty about their enemy yep and and so and so that, that that can tend to bind people together. Now was it worth all the rangers they lost? I don't know, maybe not. That was a big cost. I did um I did a post on our on our Patreon account. Yeah. Which will it'll it'll make it to our uh to our Tumblr as well after this episode sometime. Just kind of about the numbers of of night's watchmen that are still remaining and how many were lost and things like that. And uh it was a terrible cost, but They did learn, you know, with certainty about their enemy. Mm -hmm. They also, you know, John gained some perspective on the wildlings, you know, that they're human and could treat them differently, which the Night's Watch has never done, which has value from a humanity perspective. Sure. Um, So, you know, there were benefits that were gained that were not the overall reason for going, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but they were benefits achieved nonetheless. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the cost was... Yeah, the cost was bad.
1: Yeah, um, would you would you like to talk a little bit about your post? It's very interesting. Is that something you wanted to bring up here? Or do you want to put it
0: uh, um, put it up on top? Yeah, the, the, I mean the math the math component that I was talking about kind of it just jumped into my head while I was kind of writing sure. this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really just kind of a side note about the, the number remaining. The post was mostly just about. The Nights Watch should not be in this position where John is even feeling like he has to go feed yeah. these people and recruit people that have no desire or business to be there. There should be an effort, and you know, it, I understand this is not a glorious post for most people. It's fucking cold at the wall, you know. You're up with a bunch of you know thieves and rapists and stuff, but there is a history to the Nights Watch that you know the noble houses have supported. There is It is certainly a better alternative than than a lot of uh, criminals face. And we've just emerged from the War of Five Kings where there have to be a ton of people being locked up for all sorts of things. War crimes and regular crimes and everything. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for the Walls membership to be this low right now. For the Night's Watch membership to be this low. Except that I think they've done a terrible job of managing their own recruitment processes. One guy running around from the seven kingdoms collecting people from jails? Like no. Like they should be de- there should not be three sections within the Night's Watch of uh stewards, uh rangers and uh builders. What are the other ones called builders. Uh there should be four. They should be dedicating ten percent of their people to outreach programs mm-hmm. to try to gain membership. Especially when they saw their membership dwindling um and you know the post goes into more details about you know ideas of of you know ways they could do that and you know it was look this is <laughs> this is not going to win any nobel prize or anything uh this post but you know just some some food for thought about things they could have done differently i think they failed themselves to a large degree um you know and they can blame all the people they want about not sending them men but they needed to try harder as well
1: yeah it was a very insightful post and and it highlights that you know, really they sit and blame the Kings for not sending them more men, but okay. Like you're just going to, it's its the same idea of sending an email instead of making a phone call. If you want something yeah. done, you know, in the business world, at least or something, you pick up the phone. Don't just send an email and wait for them to reply to you. Uh, right. You, or you go walk over to the person's desk and talk to them. Um, it's the same idea. So yeah, send some guys down, pick up some prisoners, like you said, there's tons of them right now. And you know what? You've probably got a lot of small folk too, who are living in these ravaged war torn parts with of the country no food. who are ready to at least yep. live in some sort of, you know, stable environment where they're going to have something to eat and, and stuff like that. And you know what? Well, like they could probably drudge up some food being down there
0: too. I don't know. They probably could. I know winter's coming. It's autumn, but just one, because that, that, Case I just made was pretty rambling and and lame, but like one specific example is like we just saw in a Brienne chapter, Randall Tarly dispensing quote unquote justice to people. Mm-hmm. Like there should be like every time somebody comes through the system, these lords should be like, oh yeah, I get a kickback if I send this guy to the the Night's Watch, mm-hmm. right? Like they should they should immediately be thinking like, oh I don't want to take this guy's arm, I'll send him to the Night's Watch. Like, Tarly isn't thinking about that at all. Like, it should always be in the back of these people's minds. This is somebody that could serve in the Night's Watch. What, and it isn't. What do you mean by a kickback? Well, they could, the Night's Watch could literally... I mean, to, to, to parallel like college athletic recruiting, which is not allowed that they do, but they literally pay people to come play sports for them. Sure. Right? And they do it under the table, but it happens for sure. Um. They could they could literally tell the Lord of Maidenpool, look, give us twenty people a year. We'll do this. You know, we'll 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 make sure to bring you this. Right. You know, if you do that for us. Yeah. Just and they don't, don't, don't have know a lot. I don't, do that. Yeah. Well, they don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of wealth, right? Mm-hmm. But they could do something. It'd be nice if the crown
1: like cut their taxes or something if they send, you know, a certain number of people to the
0: watch. But the crown, of course, isn't going to agree to that. Well, but all those all those things are ideas, right? Sure. But but as of now, they do nothing. Yep. Right. It's the post is full of uh, of, is full of like half thought out ideas of like things they should do that they don't do. Um, But so tighten
1: that crap up and post it. Uh, My red wedding essay is awfully lonely there in the writing section of our website.
0: It should remain that way. This doesn't. I mean the. It's so pale in comparison, it barely registers no, it's, as visible.
1: It was thoughtful and fun. It was a good read. Uh, um, but anyways, I know more happened in this chapter, but I feel like it's about time to move on unless there's any other things you wanted to cover. I've got a whole list of things, but uh, I feel like we've maybe spent enough time on John 5.
0: Uh, I just have one thing, which is a word of the day. Okay. And it, it revolves around the weirwood trees that they saw. Hmm. Word of the day! Yeah. Werewound tree. Okay. <laughs> a werewood tree carved so angrily as to represent an entire culture being stripped of everything it holds dear.
2: A
1: werewound tree. A werewound tree. Got it. Put it in the dictionary. Austin. Okay. Uh, for those you who don't know, Austin is one of our oldest blood writers. Maybe like the Indeed. oldest. And uh, he was keeping a running dictionary of words of the day, so... Stick it Hope in. There, I haven't
0: heard from Austin a little bit. Hope
1: you're doing good, Austin. He's doing pretty good. We we had a brief chat on the Twitter just a while ago and he's oh, doing alright. He's staying busy. So
0: Good. Great to hear.
1: Love seeing him grow up. Yeah. Anyways. Uh so let's move on to Tyrion. I think we
0: had a question we wanted to insert there in the middle we from one of our blood riders. We sure did.
1: Thank you very much. Um we did from our Patreon supporters. They can send in questions that we answer. And this one this one was fun. And I, I put a lot of I actually put a lot of thought into this one. I'm glad you did. <laughs> the oh. this question came from our Blood Rider June. Who asked which a song of ice and fire character would each of you say the other is most like hmm. who wants to go first this is this is dangerous, and i'll tell <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why because George writes his characters so well that yeah. even if I name a character because of their complementary and positive qualities. You could potentially think of their negative qualities, which all of them seem to have. They have both. There's very few mm-hmm. that are one-sided, maybe Joffrey or something. And I did not pick Joffrey for you. Thank God. Um, that uh, that it could come off as, as not completely a compliment. But uh, yeah, so there's some danger in this question. Some potential for hurt ah. feelings, because we hurt each other's feelings often.
0: <laughs> I, well, I feel like we both have pretty thick skins, uh, especially with each p- other. Yeah, but I picked—I picked one that has very, very little risk. I think. Okay. But uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, hit me with it. My pick for you is Mira Reed.
3: Nice.
0: How thoughtful. Flat chest. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant. I—I <laughs> uh, I mean, I suppose you could have taken offense that, like, I'm calling you girly or something. But no, uh, it's no, awesome. I. That's she's awesome. loyal to a fault which i think is you to a t uh she believes very much in her friends she's level-headed and not panicky at all wow um she has a woman's grace uh <laughs> which i think you have uh thank you and she's handy with a frog spear which i'm guessing you are i'm very handy with a frog spear i thought so you should see me
1: well thank you i'll take that as a tremendous compliment Uh, We'll see about yours. So I tried to think about your qualities as well. You are thoughtful. You are passionate about the things that you like. um, Stubbornly so sometimes. Um, I also picked out loyalty for you. Um, Intelligent and wise. Quite wise. There's some wisdom in SCAD. So the character that I picked, who I think kind of exemplifies those things, uh, in some level or another, is Barristan Selmy. Oh, wow. So that's that's who I'd pick as you, Scott. You're also, admittedly, kind of a
0: rules guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I break my fair share. Right. I don't think... I, I don't think... You, you <sighs> like... I don't, you I don't like think I can hold a your... candle to Barristan. You like I... to have your processes and stuff, though. Yeah. Set. I do. <laughs> that's, that's true. So, uh... You know, I, yeah, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate it. That's a that is a that is a high candle to hold me to. I don't think I can. I don't think I can live up. But thank you very much. There, I'm, you, uh, there you
1: go, Slatterston.
0: Yeah, and I'll take Mira. <laughs> uh, listen, I thought it was
1: a good pick. I I love it. I think it's great. All right, I wouldn't I didn't even think of the reeds. So that's awesome. Yeah, I'm just glad you didn't pick. Uh, braun because as much as i love him <laughs> i don't want to be like him
0: no no i you know you said you thought a lot about it mine hit me pretty quick really? but uh, like I, I thought i started thinking like the same same as what you said so many of these people have just these awful things about them mm-hmm. you know like who doesn't right. that's what i started thinking about like who do we not know like some terrible things about and then i was like davos mira just seems like <laughs> a stand-up mira seems like a stand-up chick totally like eh, in the world Anyway, okay, party on. So there you go, June. Uh, let... Oh, I forgot to add family. Mira's Mira's big on family. Oh, too. yep. You
1: and I can uh, both relate to that. So... Indeed. Let's rock some Tyrion, hey. All right, Tyrion. Cripples and bastards
3: and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion Lannister, Rorimp if you please.
0: I am not dead, Tyrion exclaims as he wakes up from his nightmare of a stone man in the likeness of his father embracing and kissing him. But Halden Halfmaester isn't quite so sure he isn't dead. He swallowed half the roin, and he may just now be dying a slower death. Tyrion is given a knife to poke himself on all of extremities, all of them, Venus included, just to make sure he isn't showing early signs of greyscale, a test he will likely have to do for the rest of his life. For now, though, having done the test, he appears safe. Griff had saved him from the river, then L'Amor had cleared his lungs of the water. So, the crew are all tied up just outside of Silhorus which is a town just north of Volantis, and some of the party has gone to collect some info and supplies from Silhorus. So it appears that, apparently, an attack might be waged against Silhorus, and to kill time, Tyrion and Aegon play Syvas until the party returns. Tyrion, while they play, counsels Aegon. Warning against boldness, and also against trusting others, while also needling him about his father's past with his pseudo-father, that's Rhaegar and Jonkon. But we get to the heart of the matter when Tyrion casts doubt on their whole mission. What if Danny doesn't take Aegon as her consort? Aegon. Mind. Blown. She will. She must. But maybe not. Tyrion says she's young, yes, but she was married to a mighty call. She has three dragons and nearly countless followers. She's proud, she's strong, she's fierce, and she already has a bigger army than you do. The bar is high, yo. Plus, let's not forget, you have a better claim to the crown. That's a little disconcerting to a would-be ruler. Lastly, Aegon, what do you really bring to the table that she will want? Aegon sulks a bit, not wanting to hear it, and Tyrion, seeing that, presses his advantage. Advising Aegon not to simply trust in this plot that they've concocted, but to make his own luck. Seize the day, Nuzi's style. Tyrion's plan? For Aegon to go to Dorne himself, raise his banners. The realm is ripe for the plucking with just his incompetent sister in his path. As men flock to your side amid the ruin that is Lannisteros, you will have something of value for Danny to desire. And more importantly, you will be a true conquering Targaryen for her to see as an equal. She will fly to her kinsman to rescue and support him in the war for Westeros. And love you she will, as an equal. With that, Tyrion finishes his epic speech, and also the game with Syvasse, in only four moves. Aegon springs to his feet and upends the game onto the floor in anger, demanding that Tyrion pick them up immediately. And with that, the team is back with news. Danny is sitting in Marine rather than advancing like they expected. Volantis, it seems, will soon go to war with her to save the slave trade that she is trying to end. Griff hears this, and he sends Halden and Tyrion back to the town to confirm some of these rumors a little bit further. This could ruin their plans. They're counting on Danny joining them. So uh, Tyrion and Halden uh, find a red priest who entreats the volunteers uh, to enter or sorry the volunteers to enter the war on the side of the dragons, not the slavers. Interesting. So while Volantis wants to go on the slaver side, it looks like the red priests maybe're saying they should join on Danny's side they say Danny is Azor Ahai reborn. Okay, so they move on from the red priest and they find Cavo, a guy that uh that they've been instructed by uh, John Connington to seek out. He's a Sagass player that Tyrion loses to on purpose but tells them of the evil slavering abolishing Daenerys and all but confirms that Volantis will in fact fight against her in the upcoming war, along with most of Essos actually fighting against her. Before they leave Tyrion finds some trouble in a whorehouse. Of course he does. Dear Kallisar, this is a nasty bit from Tyrion. Mm. Something that his admirers would do well to keep in mind. This is a whorehouse to be sure, and Tyrion has paid his coin for the Sunset Girl, a redhead that looks Westerosi yet appears to speak not a drop of common. And yet his manner of treating this person is disturbing. He treats her as an object and cares not that she is lifeless in the act truly dead inside. He drinks more to try to dull his frustration with the girl and with his own behavior. No longer accustomed to so much wine, he wretches all over the carpet, then forces himself between her legs again, finishes and throws her clothes at the door, indicating that she should get out. Now, this may not be rape, but it's about as close as you get to the line, maybe straddling it. Sure. Anyway, he so to it was. It's rough. So as he makes his way from the whorehouse, he is stopped and apprehended at sword point by the big goddamn bear himself, Jorah Fracking Mormont. And what do you mean to do with me? Deliver you to the queen. And that's where the chapter ends.
1: Queen Daenerys or Queen Cersei?
0: Uh-oh. Don't know. Um, you know, we don't know. Got a pretty I good idea. Say... Though. I got a pretty good idea.
2: Well, well actually,
0: I'll, I'll... go ahead. Well, I'll say to me, the hint is, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, I know what you're gonna say. Go for it. <laughs> the horror he's has on his lap looks exactly like Danny, mm-hmm. or you know, as close as he can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's maybe, it's maybe a hint that he is not over, over Danny by a long shot. Kalisi. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. If we were going to give Jorah the benefit of the doubt, he could say, you know, he's trying to get back to Westeros, get back in good mm-hmm. standing, return home to Bear Island. Yep. What better way to do that than to deliver Tyrion to Cersei, if word has gotten all the way to Volantis that the uh, that there's the price on Tyrion's head. Um, but I think I agree with you, buddy.
0: Yep. Yep. So, uh, I don't know, an interesting chapter. chapter.
1: A sweeping chapter
0: how do you mean
3: well
1: i mean we start out with Tyrion being alive first of uh, all, yeah then yep. we move on to this whole savass game and uh then we move on to another savass game yeah <laughs> wow then we go to the whorehouse and uh culminating with the return of jorah mormont
0: indeed you're right yeah a lot a lot kind of happens um i don't know th- this uh the Sivask game with Aegon was interesting. Mm. Uh, you know, we've seen we've seen him uh, fail against the Stone Men to take action, and uh, you know, A- be effective. Aegon, you mean? Aegon, right. yeah. yeah. We see we see him get just kind of it seems like toyed with uh, by Tyrion mm-hmm. at this game, both in the game and his emotions for this whole epic discussion. Um, you know, then it upends the board, eh, just kind of immature. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Why, why do you think Tyrion even did it? Why would he even try to change Aegon's mind?
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Other other than to say, you know, I was, I was talking to, uh, to, to Brennan B. Fish, uh, when we were, on the road uh, back from Ice and Fire Con about Tyrion's journey and whether or not he's kind of climbing back out of it in these chapters, or whether he's still just kind of down in a hole. Uh huh. And and he kind of indicated, I don't, you know, I don't want to quote him, but because uh, I don't remember exactly, but it sounded like he was kind of saying, "Well, he's still he does this just to mess with him. Uh-huh. Like his brain, his brain is so addled and so bent on just." destroying things and upsetting things and being the spoiler that he just wrecks Aegon just to do it. Mm. And I didn't agree with it in the car, but but I'm kinda of, having read it now again, I'm kinda of like, Yeah, it feels like he's just out for whatever blood he can spill. Right. Which is sad because we've
1: we I think we talked about this in the last Tyrion chapter that we're seeing some sunshine creep back into the half man's life. Right? Some you know, yeah. he'd, he'd gotten, he'd gotten off the booze a little bit by force. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it seemed like he was starting to to come out of it a little bit. And uh, then something like this happens. But
0: I think... Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you could, with the booze, especially with the, you know, and and the whoring, two of his, uh, you know, two of his weaknesses or, or faults or, you know, you can make it more negative if you want to. Uh, two of the things that he doesn't that don't do well for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say he relapsed, but I th- think Beefish would say. I'm certainly saying. I think he would say it too that the relapse isn't a relapse. It's it's just a continuation, and you can see it in the Cyvas game where he's just messing with this kid. Right. This is a 16 year old kid, yeah. and he's just messing with him. He's toying with him. He, just kind of to do it. Th- this it feels that way it, yeah it kind of i think this
1: intersects with my thoughts rather than diverges from them um the, and the way that i was thinking about it is similar that tyrion is used to playing a manipulating type game and we saw him at the height of his power in king's landing when he got to play as the hand of the king for a little while but since then he's been in A bit of a funk you know he kills his dad and it's a downward spiral spiral from there you know he's in Essos now really with nothing going for him um and and so I feel like Tyrion doing this and just messing with him like you said is a way for Tyrion to kind of get back on his game a little bit and realize that he's still got it in him to be able to manipulate people and play with them, and and shake up the world because he knows that this game of savas, if he can convince him to do this, will have far-reaching effects that is going to shake up the world far beyond you know that little cabin where they're playing the game. Yes,
0: so. I see that, but and um, you know it's like the Joker. Uh, in in Batman, mm-hmm. like he, um, you know, the, in the 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 Nolan movies, one of the the lines he gives is you know that he just the the bus the bus you know these chasing chasing cars he doesn't know what he would do if he caught one like he just wants to he just wants to sow anarchy right and I think that's consistent with the Joker in general in Batman. Um, this this move is like sowing anarchy. He did manipulate a bunch of stuff before in his kind of heyday in King's Landing, but he was manipulating it with purpose mm-hmm. to achieve something that he thought was good. Mm-hmm. And maybe he is, like you're saying, just kind of testing his skills to see if they're there, but he's playing with powers here that, yeah, frankly, might not even be good for him yeah. if if they were to go take this advice. I agree. Yep. So it's a little weird yep. and, and maybe a little self-defeating and destructive for himself you
1: know for himself I think that would be a very apt description of Tyrion right now or or Tyrion's theme of self-destruction for sure
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah um do you want to talk about the sunset girl at all beyond what you've already said
2: (laughs) well
0: I can't believe I just laughed at that uh no I I, you're laughing at the question not the situation Uh... Well, I, I I wrote down almost exactly what I said. Uh, this is, I've heard this called Tyrion's low point. I've heard it called rape. Uh, this Planetos is different than our world. I, he's paid for something that you usually get. This woman is not into it clearly, and and some people, especially you know, in our world, would, would read this lack of enthusiasm, this lack of desire to perform as. This is absolutely rape. Mm-hmm. And so I get that. I don't disagree with it, especially in our world. At the same time, I don't, I don't know that it's that uncommon in this world. So it's, I don't know. It's uncomfortable to talk about for
1: sure. You add to uh, it the element that she is not receiving this money. She is
0: a slave. Right. True. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, true. But again, so. slavery is accepted. Uh, so it's, it's like a moral question. Like, should he have done it? No, absolutely not. It's evil. Is it like... I don't know. I, it's, it's about as close as I said, it's about as close to, close to rape as you get. If you're not doing it, maybe you're straddling it. Mm-hmm. It feels evil regardless. It does.
1: Me. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. If we're yeah. going to put, if we're going to label it or not, the fact of yeah. the matter is it does not feel right. And it, it feels evil. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah it feels He's... absolutely evil. And yeah. Tyrion feels that same way at the end. This was a mistake. He says, what a wretched creature I've become. Um, it made me uh, hearken back to he and Sansa's wedding night and, and the restraint he ended up showing and, uh, you know, and he was met with kind of the same, um, looks of disdain and revulsion that she gave him. Right. Sansa was the same way. She had a little bit more life in her, I think. Um, but yeah and, and and you know to see you know clearly what a wretched creature he's allowed himself to become
0: is uh is really poignant yeah um i mean there's yeah there there's something to be said for um i feel like he's he justifies things to himself mm-hmm. um and uh, Makes himself think like, oh, you know, I stopped short of, of the line, but he hasn't, and that's a tough thing. Like, we all have lines where we're like, should I be crossing this line? Should I not? You know, where's the morality? And, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta draw your own lines and try not to cross them. And if you cross them, you gotta be better the next time. Mm-hmm. And and the biggest problem, for Tyrion, for me, is, I feel like. He likes crossing them.
1: And he might feel bad after. Yes. But he goes back to it. Yes. And there's something and about crossing the line
0: that... And if you want to be him. a good... If you want to be a good person, and I don't know whether Tyrion does, mm-hmm. Uh, you need to try to change yourself to not cross the lines anymore. Right. I agree. There's... The question that but I, but I but he's so he's so screwed right now himself that uh, like i don't I don't even know that he's having those inner monologues no. right like but yeah anyway. it's it's impulse right now, I think yeah. in a lot of
1: ways you were you and I were chatting off the air about um you questioning the motives for you doing or not doing certain things and realizing that you felt like your motives weren't pure for not doing certain things. And I thought about this prior to the episode about, you know, but still do our low points, and certainly this was a lowest of low, I would call it despicable point for Tyrion, but do we, do our low points define us? Do you know what I mean?
0: Are they a reflection of who we really are? I here's Here's my answer to that question. I don't think your low points should define you in other people's eyes. Mm. But if they don't define you in your own eyes, you're apt to repeat your mistakes. You're never going to get better. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 Good answer.
3: Good answer. Good answer.
1: Family. Good food. answer.
0: Good answer. Yeah. yeah. Which we didn't no. get on. Oh! No! For those that didn't know, Matt, Matt's family was up for consideration for a family feud. <laughs> and I was the team captain. So I'm taking this pretty
1: personally right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, good, good answer. You know, Uh, some, yeah. I mean, something, something I personally struggle
1: with. Yeah. Yeah. We're often our own worst critics. uh, But at the same time, you know, there's a healthy dose of self-examination that we have to do and analysis on a regular basis to see what we can do to become who we who we truly are to and who yeah. we know we can be. And uh, that's definitely what's lacking in Tyrion's life right now. But at the same time, you know, this is a low moment for Tyrion, but we as the readers, as you said, Scott, I think we need to look at Tyrion as a whole and think of what he is capable of being when he's at his best and not forget about that. Not excusing the, the bad acts, certainly, but also Mm -hmm. looking at Tyrion as a whole. And that's, that's a, that's a big thing to do in this series is looking at Tyrion as a whole. Holy cow. Yeah. What a character. He's one of the most fascinating characters we got. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Warts, warts and all. Okay. Uh, I did have one more kind of big thing, Mm. um, that I wanted to go through. Um, this this whole thing with with Tyrion and and second guessing the mission and telling telling Aegon to go do something else you know like he's messing with the kid and sowing chaos perhaps um or testing his skills as you said but he's got a point yeah like he's being a dick here but he ain't wrong either mm-hmm. i mean Danny is this accomplished strong woman and while part of my head canon has you know has her um you know maybe joining up with Aegon you know I, I i don't know that that's a slam dunk like they're assuming um you know she's got a lot going on and i think i think
1: Tyrion's reasons are very valid right and it also got me thinking to another potential reason that Tyrion's doing this although i question why Tyrion would be so invested in Aegon but the the thought that this kid has been coddled his whole freaking life yes. and told that he's yes. the best and number one. But yet when, you know, the stone man situation occurs, he falters. This kid needs to learn how to take action and to think for himself mm. if he's going mm-hmm. to be a ruler. Yeah. And, and even if it's not part of the plan... He just needs to make a decision and go for it if he's going to learn to be someone. Now, again, I don't know if Tyrion's that invested in Aegon, that he's in Aegon's development and growth, that he's he's going to
0: use that as a motive. But True. It's, yeah. it's certainly something to think about. But it may coincidentally be something he needs to hear and do. For sure, yeah. Uh, and it, it that made me think as well, you know, how have, have these guys really done a great job? In raising him? Have they coddled him too much to the point where yeah. they think he's this really well prepared person and he's actually not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? I agree. Oh. All right. Uh I don't know. You have anything else for uh
1: Tyrion? This was a again a sweeping chapter. There's a lot more we could talk about, but uh we spent a lot of time on these two chapters. I think we should go on to uh our, our beautiful princess in the tower.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would have liked to talk about Tyrion raking his sister and how brutal he does it, but yeah, let's move on. Uh, Ariane,
1: right? Princess in the Tower. Yes. That is me, isn't it? It is. I hope you're ready. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Whoopsies. No, I am. She'll take what she wants and she'll take it from you. Knowing ambitions are dreams that you make come true. Arianne likes sand. Soft but suffocating, just take me now I'm yours.
1: Ariane, Ariane, let down your long hair. Uh, only Ariane's hair isn't that long, and there's no one waiting at the bottom of the spear tower offering to rescue her. Indeed, this is where we find Ariane, in relative luxurious comfort, but uh, solitary captivity all the same. After the disastrous events along the banks of the Green Blood, where Arianne and her party were ambushed by Ariohota and co, Prince Doran has sent Arianne's friends to an actual prison at Gaston Grey and Arianne to the aforementioned Spear Tower. He apparently doesn't mean for her to die, except for maybe boredom or anxiety, Um, and she's ridden with guilt over everything that had happened. The death of Oakhart, the uh, incarceration of her friends, and maybe most of all, not knowing the fate of Princess Marcella. she never meant for anyone to get hurt, and she can't for the life of her figure out who could have revealed her plans to Prince Doran. As soon as she's permitted to meet with her father, she plans on begging his forgiveness, although she's not sure she can even forgive herself. Her only visitors in her captivity are servants. Every day they bring her food, fresh clothes, and take care of her needs, but all the while they remain frustratingly silent. Demands to see her father, questions about the fate of her friends, all are met with the sounds of silence. She even tries yelling out the window for her beloved Tyene Sand and her sisters the Sand Snakes, reasoning that they could be imprisoned as well in the Spirit Tower. But no dice. She seems to be truly alone. Now, she eventually, after days of working on it, breaks a young servant girl, Cedra, leveraging the girl's infatuation for Garen. Remember, this was Garen, one of her friends who was there um, and is now incarcerated. And she tries to send a letter with Cedra to Lord Franklin Fowler, appealing for rescue. Cedra leaves with the letter but never returns. Now, as the days pass, Arianne stops even eating until she is almost too weak to even get out of bed. Um, either this gets the attention of her captors or the allotted time for her penance has passed, as Ariohota finally comes to take her to see her father. She's been prisoned f- uh, imprisoned for an unspecified amount of time, but I would say easily over a month, probably. Prince Doran, uh, we know that it was more than a fortnight, so yeah, I'd put it at that. Prince Doran looks worse than she remembers. The gout is strong in this one. He asks her why she did what she did, and she, abandoning all plans that she'd had for humility tells him it was for the honor of their house and that his failure to act in the face of Oberon's murder shames not only their family, but all of Dorne. Now, to Arianne's relief, Doran tells her Marcella is not dead, but the, that the dangerous Dark Star sliced off Marcella's ear and permanently maimed her face, and he's still at large. So they can't find him. He says Arianne has discovered or has dishonored all of them and endangered all of Dorne, which cannot stand against a war with the Iron Throne. She demands to know who betrayed her, but Dorne will not stay, say. He tells her that her friends have been dealt with far more mercifully than they deserved, and he shames her for seducing Ser Ares to abandon his, bow, his vows. <laughs> Doran then reveals that Ser Balon Swan is making his way to Sunspear with the head of Gregor Clegane. Remember Gregor's uh, who killed Oberyn. Doran's bannermen are delaying Balon as much as possible as he passes through their lands in an effort to buy time for Doran to formulate a believable excuse for Ares' death and Marcella's maiming. But eventually, Balon's going to get there, and he asks Arianne what they should tell him. Arianne says to tell him that Ares died defending Marcella from an attempt on her life by Darkstar. But Doran asks what will happen when he asks Marcella. For the truth. What's, what's going to happen when Balon actually talks to the girl? Ariane realizes that uh, Doran needs her to convince Marcella to fall in with their story, and she asks why she should help him. She accuses him of trying to get rid of her for years by attempting to marry her off to old men while he sends her brother Quentin off to L- Lys in secret. She even admits that she saw the letter where, he, where Doran promised Doran to Quentin. Boom. Proof that Doran's trying to disinherit her. It's here that Doran, parentheses, finally, fills her in on a few of his plans uh, that he'd never told her about before. First, Doran has been working at the downfall of Tywin ever since Aaliyah's death. Only Tyrion jumping the gun and killing Tywin got in his way. Now, second, it's not so much that Dorne was trying to replace her with Quentin. It's just that he had other plans for Arianne. In fact, all those uh, old fogies that he would tried to marry her off to, they were actually just ruses that Doran had set up to make it look like he was trying to marry her off, knowing full well that she'd reject them. Because you see... Arianne was promised to another, a marriage pact sealed in secret to be revealed only when Arianne came of age, which was actually quite a while ago by Westeros standards as she's about 23 now. She demands to know who her betrothed is, but Doran says it doesn't matter as the man is dead from a quote pot of molten gold. Close quote. He assures her that Dorne will now indeed be hers, as it is Quinton who has the harder road to walk, charged with traveling afar with a small party to bring us back our heart's desire. Now here I'm just going to read to you. Uh, it says, Arianne narrowed her eyes. What's our heart's desire? Vengeance. Dorne's voice was soft, as if he were afraid that someone might be listening. Justice. Prince Doran pressed the onyx dragon of a Savas set into her palm with his swollen gouty fingers and whispered fire and blood. So vengeance, justice, and fire and blood is Doran's heart's desire. And there Ooh. our chapter ends. Maybe one of the coolest, uh, most spine tingly moments of the series in terms of quotes.
0: I love that one. It's a good one. It's a, it's a good one, and it's this is probably the moment where those few of us that love Doran fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great moment. Let me just say this before we get down to the serious stuff. George is trolling the frack out of us by naming the Prince of Dorne Doran. He could have chosen virtually any other combination of consonants and vowels, and had it be less confusing for us. Thanks a lot.
1: Thanks a lot. Anyway let's get to it <laughs> let's see um
0: there's a lot of things we could talk about in this one so much i i don't think i think I have more notes for this chapter than i've ever taken really in any other chapter yeah i have a ton right. and a lot of them are garbage a lot of them are garbage but yeah i have a lot uh-huh uh for one thing i i agree with you on your month i think she's been there for roughly a month i tried to I walked through and like looked at all the clues and tried to calculate number of days and yeah, There's days. Looks, looks like about a month. Mm-hmm. I, I got to 21 days doing actual calculations. Yeah, so did I. <clears throat> and then you did. Yep. And then it gets to after this, she lost count, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna call it 10. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's been roughly a month, is what I'm 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 with you on. Hmm.
1: Um. Let's see. Uh, ch- ch- Ariane says that she's frightened by her father for the first time when she finally meets him. So is that part of his plan? You think to keep her locked up that long, just to leave her with her thoughts and get into her head a little bit?
0: Yeah. yeah. I, uh, you know, Doran's brilliance and, um, uh, you gave another, another line in there about, I've been working at his downfall for, you know, since, since Elia's death. Um, part of his brilliance is his patience. Um, a month is nothing to him. <laughs> to quote Seinfeld, "Uh, you, you, you're not a huge fan of Seinfeld, I think, but mm-hmm. George George says this about the lying, about his he's lying about his thumb not working properly. He says this lying about my thumb. This is nothing to me. A month for Doran is that's like dinner. It's nothing. Uh, yeah, I think he's um he's totally trying to uh, just." mess with her emotions and get her off balance um i mentioned i i have a i have a great ongoing email chain with with one of our listeners victoria and she uh she described arianne uh, in one of these emails uh as unnerved upset unspoken uh during this chapter mm-hmm. uh hearkening from the uh unbowed and bre- unbowed and bre- unbent unbroken w- words of their house and yeah i think he's totally just messing with her just totally playing with her and you know it actually to her credit despite the fact that she goes into it wanting to be contrite and right. she dresses conservatively despite the fact that she wanted to be brash and and things like that she actually ends up standing up to him she doesn't she isn't contrite she isn't bowing to him right yep, all those she plans shows that, the window. that yeah she she shows that dornish fire uh right to him when she gets there yeah to I was
1: I was thinking of songs and so she went from On Bended Knee by Boys to Men to uh, Give You Hell by the All American Rejects. Just like just in the oh. snap of her fingers.
3: <laughs> oh God, give me-
0: You went and saw them this week, didn't you? I did. The all, I, all American Rejects. I
1: saw the All American Rejects with Dashboard Confessional.
0: It was. That's the only. And this other band up. that you recommended.
1: Yeah, the Social Animals. Check them out, guys. They opened for both bands, and uh, they might have been my favorite part of the show. I love those small bands because they always come out, you know, to the merch table after they're set. You can meet them and chat mm-hmm. with them for a little bit, and I always love getting to know those guys and stuff and showing. I'm not a appreciation. huge
0: this is not my genre and i'm not a huge all american rejects fan but i do like that uh, give you hell song i'm not
1: either um but this was one of the few concerts that my wife and i could actually agree on and would both enjoy she's a <laughs> she's a big fan of the rejects and i'm a big fan of dashboard confessional so you and john Just john snow and i but anyways uh that was a tangent um indeed that's what we do here that's how we do it what do you think about Doran waiting for as long as he did, and his reasons for doing so, to reveal I think plans so, to Arianne?
0: I think so much about it. Right? And we've talked uh, about this
1: before. But...
0: We have a little bit, um, and we'll probably be part of our upcoming special episode for patrons hey, uh, in all Nice plug. But, but uh Honestly, I see his point. I, I think he's in a tough spot, mm-hmm. and and in his case, care won out. Um, did he have? Maybe he didn't have to tell her everything. Maybe he just had to tell her enough to allay her fears. Right. Uh, but I completely agree with him. We've seen the evidence of her, e- even in even in this chapter when she's writing the little note. Come help me, and I'll remember you when I name my my future husband, right? Like she's got these romantic ideas of rescue and adventure and romanticism. It's still there. Like, yeah. It's still there in her at 23. And if he tells her at 16 about this, you know, this uh, betrothal, it's totally something she's going to whisper in her sheets sure, with, sure. with Tyene. It's not something she's going to keep a secret. That's just not the way she is. A parent knows their children. Mm-hmm. They know what their children are like. He knows he couldn't have trusted her with this. But, but, I don't know that that's a binary thing. It's not don't tell her or tell her. It's like, well, let's tell her something. Right. Let's, let's, let's paint the story a little bit without any details that can, you know, allay her fears. Um, yeah, I
1: thought of the, uh, the uh, kind of famous TED talk by Simon Sinek, where he talks about finding the why. You might have seen it before. Super why? Uh, not super why. Oh. <laughs> but uh, he talks about finding the why in everything that you do. Um, super
3: why. With Sorry. the super readers.
1: Yeah. You're going to fly. Mm-hmm. Yep, we have kids. We sure do. Uh, but the the phrase that he repeats throughout that, he's talking about the corporate world, and he talks about why Apple is so successful when other companies make you know, similar products and everything. And he talks about, uh, that it comes down to people don't buy what you do buy meaning B-U-Y people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And mm. I think that is, uh, indic that's something that we could point out here. Culture. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, if, if, if Doran had just given some insight into why he was waiting, and why he was doing the things that he was doing, you have to wonder if that would have helped placate Arianne a little bit. Now, she is a very willful For sure. child. And maybe that would have
0: just, like, whetted her appetite all the more and made it even worse. I don't know. but Maybe. Yeah. But I agree with you. A specific example, maybe, is tell her why he's bringing all these old people around.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Don't tell her why he's bringing all the old people around, like, specifically, but just say... I'm bringing them around because I know you don't like them, and I don't expect you to accept them. Right. And then give her a wink. And then give her a wink. And that's all. And that's all you have to tell her. Yep. Tap the side. I'm of the saving. Nose. I'm saving mm-hmm. you for something special. Mm-hmm. You're special to me. If she whispers that in her sheets, Tyene's gonna be like, "Fuck you." I know you're special. Like, you know. Yep. I agree.
1: Yep. I I got to thinking about all the descriptions of Doran's gout, which is pretty gross, but yeah. uh, it made me think that. Doran, you know, just like a gout, the look of it looks like your joints are just gonna like explode in grossness. Um, mm-hmm. I can't help but think that Doran's just kind of a ticking time bomb that way—that mm-hmm. the guy's gonna burst soon, and uh, we'll see what happens. Like literally,
0: literally explode like a uh, bratsy, just like a bratsy.
1: <laughs> nice. We haven't had a Kevin, Kevin yeah. Smith reference in a while. <laughs> it's nice. It's the worst Kevin Smith reference we ever made. <laughs> but yeah you know what i mean like plans are hopefully coming to fruition for him he hopes so anyways and uh he's ready to finally act after all these years
0: yes but but here's (sighs) you you asked about like all these years that he's waited to you know to to tell her how about all these years that viserys has actually been of age to do something and they didn't actually like make good on that agreement. Yep. Yep, or Why what were they viserys what were they waiting on there?
1: Yep. Even support him in some way, you know? Yeah. There's nothing. They just left yep. him to his own devices over there. Now, it doesn't right. say specifically viserys we need to point out, but uh it's all but oh, Did I just spoil something? Well, it's all but completely hinted at. A crown of molten mm. gold yeah right and then we're gonna i don't feel bad about it yeah no don't i would have said it too (laughs) uh and then what does he say you know the fire and blood reference is repeated over and over i did a uh, a search of ice and fire on the phrase fire and blood and Mm -hmm. the amount of times that it's repeated over and over in Daenerys chapters was staggering so (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah the reference is strong yeah i think we can safely point that out yeah. Hmm.
1: So Arianne was betrothed to
0: Viserys. Yeah. Hmm. But I. But I. But but it seems like, you know, uh, who knows? Did George have this written at the time? Did he know for sure that he was going to do that? I don't know. Viserys. You won't get Viserys' headspace. But did he know anything about this? It, it. It almost feels like this arrangement was made, and the dude that witnessed it wasn't around anymore, and no one knows. Yeah. Like, do we have any evidence that anyone knows that this is a pact that actually existed other than Doran? Not yet. Yeah. Not yet.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's, it certainly appears that Viserys had no idea. Um, but then that would explain, of course, why Doran um, didn't want to give Doran to Ariane because he had it in mind for her to rule Westeros. Which is... Right, yes. Pretty significant. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. She was gonna be queen.
0: Uh, they say that Darkstar vanished into the deep desert. Mm-hmm. I think this is a euphemism for sex in Dorne. Oh, dear. I vanished into the deep desert. Oh, dear. No? Oh, uh, dear. But, but seriously alive, I hope. <laughs> Uh, he's an interesting guy. Yep. Come on, you liked it. I, I'm not saying I didn't. I always right. like it.
1: But anyways,
0: <laughs> uh, let's see. Do you yeah. want to just go into just some character stuff with Ariane? Sure. Let's do it quickly. Qu- just quickly. I, so, if this has been a theme for the last. Few chapters we've had for Marianne um, because I I started really liking her um, th- for my other rereads mm-hmm. and I still like her. I think she's got some qualities that are that are good. Yeah, like we said, uh, she I, does
1: have some good qualities.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. her guile, as she notes in this chapter, is impressive. Uh, she can certainly manipulate people and has some charisma to her to uh, you know get to get things done. But God, is she immature! yeah she's got a lot of growing up to do this i mentioned the note these books are around and she's like "Ugh, boring Mm -hmm. like read something become like you want to lead dorn read something yeah you have to think that selection of the books was may have been intentional intentional yeah (laughs) yeah they had to be chosen specifically um and she just ignored them and you know it's i want to i want to I'm going to just lay this out very clearly. She's in her room for 24 hours a day, for a month, roughly, with people to talk to maybe, let's be generous and say, two hours of, those, of, of the day. No Netflix. Of, eventually sheer boredom would put you to reading these things. Yeah. And she has no interest. Uh-huh. And so I don't want to harp on it. Like, I've gotten some flack in the email, frankly, from a few people. Like, you're being too hard on her. And I think I am being pretty hard on her. It's it's a far swing from where I used to be on Ariane. But, like, if she wants to lead, she's got to get over this bitterness and become a leader. Yep. So, that. No, I
1: think it's fine to be hard on her. We reserve the right to be hard on whoever we want to be. It's our podcast. <laughs>
0: It is, for the nonce.
1: <laughs> but, uh, no, I think it's fair to be honest in our assessment of her. And she, she frankly does have
0: some growing up to do. Yeah. yeah, But, but again, like, a lot of these people that we say that about are 14, 15, 16. Yeah, Jon Snow. She's 23.
1: Tar- Daenerys Targaryen. You
0: know, teenagers. Exactly. Yeah, she's 23. Mm-hmm. Like, she should be there by now. And I understand she's got a chip on her shoulder from the way that she perceives she was treated by her father, but yeah.
1: And frankly, it looks like her father hasn't given her a lot of opportunity to branch out and, and do some of these things. But at some point you gotta, you gotta take the initiative. I would think too. Yeah. It was interesting to uh, hear Oberyn's parenting style, right? Um, she mentions it somewhere. I thought I'd written it down. Uh, (laughs) There it is. Oberyn says, if you would wed, wed. If not, take your pleasure where you find it. But if you saddle yourself with a fool or a brute, don't look to me to rid you of him. I gave you the tools to do that for yourself.
0: Yep. Say what you will about Oberyn, but He uh, he trained his kids up. You may or may not have just stolen my my show ending quote. Oh. But that's okay. We'll come up with something else. Use it again. (laughs) We can cut this out. Uh, no, no, of course not. Uh, I guess I'd just say one more time with, with Doran, he he needed to give Arianne more to go on. Mm-hmm. This is not all her fault. Mm-hmm. But, when, but when they have this discussion, and he's laying out all these things to her, it's like, you know what? If you'd have just sat down, if you would have just communicated before, before she did this plot, you could have eased all of this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know. I there's, there's a bit in there um, where it said, what, what did I ever do to make you hate me? So Arianne says that. Yeah, to Doran. How heartbreaking is that? Terrible. It's one of, one of my biggest fears mm-hmm. that my kids will hate me. There are, or you know, think there that are... you hate them either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Um, you know, there are, there are, oh man, I'm, I'm I'm getting the chills just thinking about it. Like
2: th- th- th-
0: you can do a great job as a parent and still have rough relationships with your kids sure. and it's one of my biggest fears mm-hmm. and man, I just feel like Arianne wanted nothing more than a hug exactly. and some approval. Some
1: time with her dad. Yeah. And, and, you know, she didn't have a mom around. We know that yeah. their mom left and she had Doran and he, it sounds like he kind of kept her at arm's length as she started to grow up. She was the little girl that said that used to run to him with a skin knee or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and it sounds like their kind of the distance that grew between them wasn't all Arianne's fault. like Yeah. You know, My dad worked a lot, but we always had hockey. And I played in a city that was about 45 minutes away. I might have talked about it on the podcast before. Um, I played down in Provo, which is about 45 minutes away from Salt Lake, where we live. And, you know, even with him working, that was our time to talk in the car. And he took advantage of that. And that was something that was steady and regular. And it was our time to catch up. And you can't help but think if just Dorn would have just carved time out of his week or whatever just to spend time with his daughter you know how would things be different
0: yeah, yeah. well we've beaten this chapter up pretty good i i did have one more thing just i want to say because i i hate the way they always talk about this in these chapters in Dorne about you know Oberon went there and they killed him like no they didn't he volunteered for a duel mm-hmm. that is shit that happens when you volunteer for a duel yep Stop bitching about it. This was not some sort of revenge plot. This was your dude being out of fucking control. S- stop it. Right. I hate. I hate the way they talk about this. Yep. Yep. Anyway, Arianne definitely, and probably a lot of the
1: people in the kingdom want something to spur Dorne to action. And yeah. they jump all over that. But yep, yep. They weren't there. They don't know
0: <laughs> what Oberyn did. So yeah, yeah. Well, they know that he. They know. They know. Oh, well, sure. They know it was part of a, a duel. Sure. They know. Like they're ignoring anyway. that. Yeah. 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 All right. Shall we move on? The Merchant's Man. The Merchant's Man. I'm excited to hear the jingle. Um, me too. <laughs> if life's an
3: adventure, well, the life... Surely this of dreams and a tempered tip. and a wine a water drink but still i run away to you i wonder what you'll say could plain not and and blood
0: Matt already alluded to this uh in, in our opening but one of the beauties of this reading order is that the mysteries of the princess of the tower chap- princess in the tower chapter are quickly addressed with this reading order. If anyone's wondering how Doran's master plan was going, here we are. And the answer, well, it's not going great. Quentin is stuck in Volantis with his compatriots, trying in vain to reach Marine and Daenerys Targaryen. They actually lost 3 of their number to pirates between Lys and Volantis, including their maester who was fluent in the languages of the Nine Free Cities. And things are not Really looking up now that they're in Volantis. With the impending war mentioned in the Tyrion chapter, nobody is keen to take them to Marine. As for Quentin himself, it's the first time we met him. Well, he's physically unimpressive. Short, stocky, dark brown hair, an honest face, but not an attractive one. It's like a goddamn mirror. Uh, he's Doran minus the gout, basically. Uh, he's not super confident. Girls make him super nervous. And none more than the mythical Daenerys, as he thinks about her. Again, looking in the mirror. (laughs) He must remind himself constantly that though she might not want the Q, might not want him himself, she will want Dorne. As mentioned, he's lost three companions already, but still he has Garrus' tall drink of water with him, and he's smooth as silk. He also has one they call the big man with him, Sir Archibald Ironwood. He of the ham-sized fists and the seasickness. Seriously, dude stayed below decks on their journey and argues vehemently against finding another ship so that he doesn't have to stay on uh, stay on the sea. Anyway, for 20 days, they've been in Volantis seeking passage, and though the port is huge, with no end of ships of various types and sizes, they've not been able to find a single captain willing to take them. That is until today. The Adventure. A smuggling ship that smells vaguely of wet wookie and corpse flesh, will take them for thrice the usual fee, each. Though Quentin imagines this captain will just slit their throats and dump them after collecting the fee anyway. Quentin and Tall Drinkwater debate their options as they travel by elephant cart. They did have an offer that would take them to New Geese, but that might strand them in a smaller port. They could buy a ship, but have no one to her. They could go over land, but the demon road awaits and it is too slow. Quentin knows that time is of the essence in this game that he's playing. While Garrus tries to keep the conversation light, Quentin despairs, it's not really in him to be so carefree. Anyway, here's where they land. They don't have a lot of options. They travel incognito to avoid suspicion, they need to move fast and don't have the crew to sail a ship, and they cannot splash money or status around or they'll betray their cause and endanger Dorne itself. So really, adventure, which no Jedi nor Sir Archibald will crave, might be their only option. They make their way through Volantis, seeing the morning catch being called, witnessing a triarch slide past on a giant elephant, and finally seeing the jousting dwarves that we can't place but to say that they might be with the old man from scene 22? Before they are able to get inside to their quarters, they are waylaid by the Windblown, a sellsword company looking for recruits. Recruits to fight with Yunkai against the Silver Queen. Q's potential future bride... Quentin and Garrus just continue past the windblown, avoiding their taunts of cowardice. As they relay the news of the adventure to Sir Archibald, who was left behind to guard their gold, both Garrus and Archibald balk at taking the adventure. As noted, it stinks. Garrus himself has thought of another opportunity to get them to Marine. It's dishonorable, it's risky, but it would be faster than the demon road and wouldn't suck as much as a slit throat on the adventure. That is the end of the chapter.
1: Yep adventure stink.
0: It does. It does indeed.
1: I feel like uh this is George dismantling the adventure trope. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um and uh I read this week, oh, I'm going to butcher the name of it. Uh our friend Brennan B. Beefish has a a wonderful bit on uh on on Quentin and why he matters and uh I read that too. And why Oh, did you? Okay. Great. Uh it's full of spoilers, so don't go there if you don't want spoilers. It it talks a lot about, you know, where he ends up and stuff. But um yeah, I think I think he mentions kind of a similar idea that this is this is really uh you know, adventure sucks. And this is what it is for Quentin. <laughs> He's stuck in a stinking city that he doesn't understand, doesn't understand the language, doesn't understand the customs, and he can't find a ride. And this is what adventures really like for some people. Yeah, I think it was Cletus Ironwood, who was Quentin's oldest friend, who
1: said Quentin recalls him saying, "This will be a tale to tell our grandchildren." And mm-hmm. Cletus's body's at the bottom of the sea somewhere, you know. Now yeah. mm-hmm. he was killed in the in the pirate attack that you mentioned. So,
0: mm. yeah. So so here here's where we get a look at Doran's strategy. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, very Lord of the Ringsy. Send a small number to slip through, uh, you know, rather than sending a big envoy with you know colored ships and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have to—I had to ask the question: Why Q himself? Why send Quentin himself? It seems like you can send. uh, Kind of relating to what we were talking about in the Princess and the Tower chapter, it seems like this alliance with Dorne, this whole idea that there's a relationship, is. It's a myth at this point. Like, nobody's talking about it from the Danny side. Maybe they should just re establish communications with anybody, right? And not really send Q himself at this moment. Yeah, he's not. You know, I agree. He's not the best
1: figurehead for all of this and everything. Get her back to Westeros somehow if you can. Get her there in the country and back in her homeland and then be like, roll out the new husband. <laughs> sure.
0: Or at least like, how about just open the lines of of communication first right. yeah. before sending her husband, uh-huh. right? It's, it feels, I don't know. I, f- I feel like Doran has good, good intentions, but like p- puts too much, I don't know. I don't want to say too much faith in his children, but. There's no reason to send Quentin right now. Too much on his shoulders,
1: you know, yeah. Too much kind of pressure and and stuff to perform. Like you know, he's he's been hatching this plan apparently for years, or a, a plan, and he's had to you know adjust finding out Viserys was dead. But now it's like, okay, you gotta get to Marine right now and marry this chick right now, right now. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah, bring her back here right now. Yeah, after years and years of planning, it's like, yeah. run to Marine now, go, go. Bring her back right now, yeah. and uh, that's that's tough
1: for a kid who's scared of girls and and all of that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and obviously he couldn't have picked a worse time to do it. <laughs> with yeah, a, he doesn't know what's going on in Marine. At least I don't think he knows everything that's going on. But uh, no. with the with the siege and everything going on, but he couldn't have picked a worse time to try to get people over there.
0: Yeah, I you know Quentin seems like. A good stand-up dude. He's absolutely sharp. Yeah, he he picks up right away. He's like, "This guy's gonna kill us." Mm-hmm. He's young. It should be noted. He's eighteen. Um, you know, but he he seems sharp. He seems smart. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Absolutely. He's he's got a bit of the Dante in him. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Dante, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here today. Fuck! I'm not even supposed to be here today. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Oh, fuck
3: you. Working on my day off.
0: Right? Like, he's like, uh, oh, gosh, if I go back to Dorne, they'll make fun of me. Oh, I'm not even supposed to be here. He's got
1: a bad answer for, or not a bad answer, but like a rebuttal for every to... idea Garrus has. <laughs> well, can't do yes,
0: that because right. of this. And he's right, but... Yeah. 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 But, you know, I, I like him, though. I feel like, uh, you know, had 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 I answered that question from, from Archmaester June about who are you yourself, instead of who is, you know, each other. I might have picked Q for myself. I I feel like he's just an everyman kind of guy. He's normal. He's got a good head on his shoulders, but he's, you know, nothing too special. You know, like, I I feel bad for him that he's stuck here and can't do anything. Like, I want him to succeed. Mm -hmm. You know, we did a little, uh, uh, threw a little poll up on
1: Twitter yesterday. Just, oh, yes, I loved it. Just for yeah. funsies. And uh, we asked, if you were uh, in high school, who were you? And you could pick either Ariane, teenager, yeah. or Ariane or or Quentin. And I was surprised at the results. I didn't actually look at the final results, but pretty much for almost the whole poll, it stayed 75-25 in favor of I think
0: Quentin. It, I think it got up to 80-20. And, nice. Uh, and, yeah, people are, you know, look... Round of applause because our Kalasar is refreshingly honest about themselves. <laughs> it was great. It was great to read. It was awesome. For the record, I was definitely Quentin. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. And still am. Yeah. Yeah. I think Nisa today said she still is. Yeah. 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 What about, uh, what about Volantis itself? was our first peek at Volantis. What did you think?
1: Um. George picked a really gross description of it And I didn't write it down
0: The kiss one?
1: The bloated lips kissing Either side of the yeah. river It was kind of grotesque it was gross. Yeah. yeah yeah. And I kind of get that That impression of it Like a kiss is generally a positive thing But it's kind of not yeah. At the same time <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah you, you, It's kind of like backhanded compliments Yeah, yeah I, I feel like even Look I'm a fat guy uh, I love sweets, but even the description of their sugary treats, it's like, oh, it's beet sugar. I'm like, ugh. ugh. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, even that isn't good. Right. <laughs> they couldn't have had, you know, an abundance of sugar cane. Backhanded compliments.
1: Uh, I was playing hockey last night. Sorry. Uh, we're going to digress a little bit. And yes. we were playing this really, this team stacked with really good players. And we play in a division that's like, decent players but it's meant to be like guys that just play once a week for fun with each other you know Mm -hmm. it's not meant to be college level players playing out there and this other team had like five kids that played together for the university of utah hockey team and so they Uh were just walking all over us the score was like seven to two in the end i think and we were Kind of the referee was standing by our bench at one point watching the play, and we were kind of complaining about it to him. It's like, where do these guys come from? And he's like, yeah, I agree. This is really stupid. And I can't believe the league let this team get together and everything. And he goes, but you guys, you guys look like you belong in this division.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally a backhanded compliment. Like, thank thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank, thanks, man. Appreciate it. You also look like you should be refing at this level, yeah, jerk. <laughs> uh,
1: but obviously, uh, a, a slave-infested city, right? I think they said four out yeah. of every five citizens is a slave. Yeah, either does... that or it
0: was five to one. Yeah, I don't remember which. <sighs> which
1: yeah. don't tell the slaves that number. Well, they can count. Sure, uh, I'm sure, sure they. But yeah, but yeah,
0: interesting dynamic. Yeah, very um, much. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a crappy city. Mm-hmm the the nine the the nine free cities in general kind of i don't know as a, as a fan of the series that they've always kind of their intrigue other than bravos which seems pretty cool their yeah. intrigue is kind of i mean like until Tempered. this episode i didn't even know what the disputed lands really were mm-hmm. and where Mirror was and tyrosh like i knew vaguely where they were but i had no real idea right um you know and, and i looked at them and I'm like oh okay it just never intrigued me that much. Well, they come off as these
1: exotic across-the-sea places, and then when you get to them, it's like, all right, this place
0: stinks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah only Bravo seemed really cool. I agree. I would agree with
1: yeah. that. Um, it's amazing in this chapter. I really don't have a lot more to talk about. But one thing that struck me in this chapter is it's amazing to see how Danny really has turned not just Marine and not just Slavers Bay, but all of freaking Essos on its head. Right? It's fun to see the perspective from others on the continent, from the ship's captains to other people in Volantis. She's completely turned a whole continent economically on its head.
0: That's crazy. Simply by challenging slavery. Yeah. And there was was an interesting bit in, I think it was the Tyrian chapter where uh, Cavo was talking about you know, how the (laughs) the lords aren't sleeping well because they feel like their slaves are sharpening knives Mm -hmm. um you know and it's yeah like danny seized on that in you know her conquest of of slavers bay and um you know these slaves are they're still people Yep, (laughs) they can rise up and they're being encouraged right now when are these colonies gonna rise up that's some hamilton for (laughs) you Very good,
1: but yeah, thought it was fun.
0: Yeah, I uh I mentioned that the Princess in the Tower had the most notes ever. This might have been the shortest. I only have a handful of notes, uh and I think I've exhausted them. I had three or four. So um, yeah,
1: okay. okay. We move move on. So this is this was a nice uh, again a nicely structured set of chapters. We get it was. arianne her plan. The plan regarding quentin is revealed. So we go to Quentin's chapter. And now we've got Quentin trying to get to Danny, so we go to Danny chapter. So uh, you've got that one.
0: Yeah, the only the only one that didn't really fit too well was John's chapter, but everything else kind of relates. You got Tyrion coming toward Volantis. Tyrion's not far away. Um,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Uh, but actually, we have a uh, we have another question from our uh, from our glorious uh, Patreon. Before we move into to Danny chapter, Mm -hmm. what would you name an Ass-waff, a song of ice and fire themed band, and uh, Connor indicated that his is called Gatehouse Amy and the Ribble Jess, which is a great name. Yep, and
1: he's called it already. so You guys can't steal it. It's
0: Connor's. Yeah, you cannot steal it. Connor. Called dibs. Connor has called that. Dibs yeah. on a band name is sacred. I uh, I came up with a few. You got any? Uh, you know, I can't
1: beat my classic one from Clearback and a Cock, and I'm still going with it. Yes. I really want to make a ska band. Uh, uh, Create a ska band that's called Ragged Jenna.
0: Yep. Yep, it's a good one. Uh, and a, a good reach around. Um, it was the name of a ship, by
1: the way, guys, uh, in Stannis' fleet at the Battle of the Blackwater.
0: Yes, correct. And one of the only ones that survived. It made it through. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. So I got a few, one of which I'm, I'm extremely proud of. I'll leave it till the end. Uh, referencing your ska or maybe big band, uh, Euron and the Whalers. Nice. Whalers spelled W H A L E R. Right, like whalers. whalers, yeah. Yeah, right. You're on on the Whalers. Uh, Van Bolton, <laughs> especially for you, Matt. Thank you. Van Bolton. Thank you. Uh, kind of like a, a Panic at the Disco feel on this one. Bloodbath on the Trident. Very good. Love it. And my favorite. Okay. Uh, uh, an homage to my favorite band. Valyrica. Valerica. <laughs> And I think, honestly, somebody should really take there that one. There could totally be because a metal band Because you've got Valyria, but you've got the word lyric in there, plus the Metallica sound. Valyrica. I really think somebody should take that. So, uh, you know what? You guys are welcome to it, because I have not an ounce of musical talent. So, go for if it. If anyone out there is thinking of putting together, like, a goth
1: metal band, there's your name, Valyrica.
0: Valyrica. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Good job. Good job, buddy. Thanks.
1: Alright. Uh you wanna take Danny four?
0: Oh, could you? Uh
3: yep. Let, let me do that. <laughs> Get right on that. No, I got you. Alright. <clears throat> Danny Silver hair and purple eyes always on the go. Kicking it with the dragon kids and Joe And the handle. She know just where she gotta go and won't be Terry look how westeros it comes the nearest Irian.
0: The Stormborn sups with the Green Grace, Galaza galere, a delicious meal of honeyed lamb served by two of Danny's hostages. You probably recall that Danny is ordered that each noble house send her two hostages to serve as cupbearers. The idea, of course, being that she can use them as leverage against the violence happening in her city. The only problem <laughs> is that she refuses to harm them, much to the Shavepate's disgust. The war begins outside her gates, actually, with ships denying trade to Marine via the Bay or the Skahazdan River. Um, this is how wars always start, right? With kind of uh, starving people out, and also inside the gates, the nightly violence continues. It's wearing on her, and the Green Grace is noticed, but not enough for Danny to start harming innocent children. Will someone please think of the children? No, because Danny's already doing that. Uh, Galer has a solution for Danny: Wed. But Danny fights this idea as she doesn't really believe that a king can really solve any of these problems. To which Galaire replies, Can you? Danny is a foreigner, and Galaire fears that without a king, Marine may never accept her rule. Having a king of Pyrgascari blood might bring people around eventually. She recommends his Darzo Lorak. Wed him, bed him, give him a son, and her enemies within the walls will melt away. Danny knows that she can't give Lorak a son. See previous chapters with Quaith and all the shenanigans that occurred before. But she feels she owes it to her people, her children, to try and make peace in Marine. Dane decides to give him a chance. And it just so happens that, bold as you please, Galaza has actually brought his dar to the palace today. Just ask him up! She does. And after some flattery, he gets right to it. There's no foreplay in this one. He can provide heirs, as he has two children already. He can get the city to accept her rule and he can stop the violence in the streets not so fast danny has some concerns let's walk through them she thinks that his promise sounds good what about his motive he answers that he wants the crown sure but he wants to protect his people too just as she does she wants to protect the people following her and he wants to protect his city and his people what about morality she's not going to yield to the slave trade his dar Hisdar replies, What if Marine stays free, but other cities are allowed to continue the slave trade? That would keep them off of Marine's walls. What about love? Don't you want someone to care about you? To which Hisdar replies, What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Look, he desires her physically. Who wouldn't? And her waking up this city from ages of sleepy existence is an even bigger turn on for him. He's excited about the future of Marine, and he'd love to be king with her. She demands that they kiss. They do. And it's passionless. Literally no spark. It was the kiss where sparks go to die. But love may come in time, his dar insists. Okay, Danny says, but I'm leaving for Westeros someday. And his dar just says, hey, we'll blow that bridge up when we get to it. Let's not worry about the future for now. Basically, he has answered every complicated question and concern that she can come up with. But Danny's cagey. She's not going to give her hand just because he can answer a few questions. She wants him to prove to her that he can bring the peace. 90 days of peace in the streets, and she will marry him. He agrees. On the 91st day, they shall wed. Clock's ticking, Quentin. Get adventuring. Seconds after taking his leave, Barry Selmy is already all judgy. Will she please just go to Westeros? Lingering here is not going to bring it closer. It's where she belongs. But she disagrees. She owes it to Marine to fix this. She changes the conversation. Tell me why Rhaegar wed. She is a sucker for Rhaegar stories. Papa sell me story time. Seriously, we need a theme song for this, Matt. Some Papa sell me story, sleepy story time. <laughs> Rhaegar was fond of Elia, but they were not in love. In contrast, Danny's own mother and father had no fondness at all, no like for each other in any sense. They were wed because a woods witch convinced her grandfather Jeharis, that the prince that was promised would come from their union. Beriston wanders out, but before leaving informs Danny that she has a guest. Dario Naharis, the sexy one has returned. Danny's heart skips a damn century, and she admits him immediately and pretties herself up with her handmaiden's help. Dario enters all sex appeal and swagger, eats a pair, and openly pleads for sex from Danny, basically. They update each other on the state of affairs instead, trade, chips, killings, etc, but it's all really just a show for the underlying tension that is about to explode like a firework all over somebody's sheets. Until Danny notes that she must wed his dar, adding that Hizzy has ninety days to end the killings. I will do it in nine, Dario replies. Just kill all the nobles is his idea. Danny says, we can't do that. We have no proof. I can't just slaughter my own subjects. Kalasar, an interesting thing can happen when people are away for too long. They can kind of be romanticized. You can start to see them more favorably or less than you should because of a few qualities that stand out to you. These people become somewhat caricatures instead of people. But a body isn't just these fragments of what you want to remember. This is the case with our Dario. He's a ruffian, a simpleton, even a bit of a monster. He's not a king. He's a cell sort, and frankly, he's just not a fit for Danny. Still, though, they should kind of bang because that kind of sexual tension—it's just not good to let hang around. But instead, they fight. Danny calling his ideas stupid, and Dario insinuating that she has forgotten who she is if she just wants to wants a king to solve all of her problems. She orders him out, and she orders the storm crows back into the field with a special request to never let Dario in her presence again that night she lies in her bed in anguish at having sent Dario away after all she has blood on her hands just as he does maybe they're both monsters and that's the end of the chapter
1: hmm somehow i don't feel she's quite so monstrous
0: but maybe that's just me no i feel like she's uh well she's had her moments Certainly. but 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 she pretty much tries to i mean you know these children are a great example she won't harm them that's the whole point of getting them was harming them right right mm-hmm. so yeah you know, we talk, I remember clear oh.
1: back in Game of Thrones we asked the question if the iron islands had rebelled would eddard stark have killed theon and i think the answer that yeah. we came up with was that eddard would do what needed to be done but uh i think so yeah i vaguely remember that um danny just just can't do it <laughs> and that'll just kill your credibility or your reputation unfortunately yeah. i mean kudos to her for not wanting to murder children but yep don't take hostages in the first place if you're not willing to follow through because these people in marine are
0: gonna walk all over that yeah oh uh, i don't know what to say about this chapter um danny's trying to mix it up mm-hmm. if she is not working, you got to try new things um and so she is good good for her i guess yeah yeah right
1: she's trying i mean much yeah. to the chagrin of <clears throat> of barristan selmy she's trying. yeah i
0: mean to that to that point i i feel like readers have have uh readers have stormed the walls on this uh the Marinese not right of like what the hell is Danny doing uh, here? And you know, we've uh, I think we've waxed before about you know what this serves for her character-wise, and I won't spend time on that again. But um, you know, I-, I think all the readers are like you, just like Berestov. Like, you don't belong here, man. I
1: like, I see what you're trying to do. Yeah, and kudos for you for
0: trying to do it. But get out. Get out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's it's hard. You know, you have to remember what she's really leaving behind if she does so, and
1: yeah, what she's yeah. what she's got right in front of her. Yeah. Um. Let's see. We were gonna save some Danny John comparison for Davos after dark, so we I won't were. talk yep. about that here. Yep. Uh. So. I really don't have a ton more. Quentin better um, put put some...
0: Uh, what's, yeah, what's the term? Get his, his rearing gear? Kick, kick the spurs, yeah. <laughs> um, He's got 90 days. Yeah. I, let's talk a little about the Hizdar thing, too. Um, I just... The whole thing seems... Desperate. You know, like I said, you know shit's not working, you gotta mix it up, but on danny's part if yeah if you if if he's really gonna stop the violence, take the next logical step, mm-hmm, what does that mean? It means he's in charge of the violence, yeah, there's some there. like <laughs> like there's a there's a relationship in some way at least, and she calls it out, I'm not saying she's a dummy, she says something similar in the chapter um. You know, she says, uh, "Are you the harpy?" And he says, "No." And she's like, well, "Would you tell me if you were?" He's like, "No." Uh-huh. Um, you know, but she she sees the link here. Like, if she's going to ask him to stop the violence, is she is he actually in charge of the violence? Um, but it just seems like if he can absolutely stop everything from happening, yeah, it seems like he's the one calling the calling the orders. Right. I don't
1: know why you'd trust this person. And maybe that's what she's decided she's going to do at this point. She just doesn't care. um, She's like, oh, well, I just need to compromise. I'm in bed with the enemy because I need this killing to stop. I mean, kudos to her for caring about
0: her people. But that's awfully scary. Um, I mean, his dar for his part seems like a clever dude. His answers to all of her questions were, I mean, they almost seemed rehearsed. They were so good. mm -hmm. Um, He seems like he's on top of it. I don't know. We don't know anything about him, really. Yeah,
1: you have to wonder. I mean, the one thing he's not going to compromise on is slavery, because it's an economy built on slavery. It doesn't
0: excuse it or make it better. It's just the way things are. And But but it looks like he is willing to compromise on it. He's like, let the Yellow City do it, and we'll stay out of it. Right. right. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what, a slippery that slope he, he thinks will come back. Yeah, but... I feel yeah. like
1: that's very slippery. Might be. Yeah. You know what, but it's true. You don't trust this guy. Because once he's king, all he needs Daenerys for is to become king. To marry her, she's the queen, he becomes the king. After that there is this yeah. little thing called the you know, her dragons and everything that But she can't control her dragons right now, OBS. So I don't yeah. know. Danny's in a really weird situation. Yeah. The dragons, like we said, are it... always the the wild card in this because even if she goes back to Westeros, she's got three uncontrollable dragons. Yep. And we just talk about Danny's got dragons. That's her force multiplier.
0: But yeah, force in what direction? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know the 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 dance of dragons has um, has some reference to that in uh, the world of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that there are some dragons that have no riders and like they're wild and kind of not controlled and they need people to point them in the right direction. And even when they get riders, it's tough. Yeah. I think one of them throws their rider and goes off into the wild. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are not, these are not like, uh, they don't, they don't come with the Microsoft Clippy to give you advice on how to steer them. Like you got to figure this thing out. Right. What about, uh, what about Dario? Anything on the Dario thing?
1: I don't quibble much against George. But this I quibble with. Ooh, Danny, Danny's infatuation with Dario. Doesn't make any goddamn sense. It feels so manufactured, Scott. Yeah, I know. Like, it's like she's got a little crush on him at first, just he's like, he's kinda hot, he's the bad boy, you know, I'm kind of attracted to him. And then all of a sudden, it's this complete and utter teenage infatuation with the guy and it just feels like it yeah. comes out of nowhere.
0: And here's yeah. I, I feel like I feel like uh I feel like we miss Brooke here a little bit. I remember a conversation we had with Brooke uh about something similar. I don't even remember exactly what it was. Uh but I think she'd remind us that Danny's a sixteen year old girl. Sure. sure. Yeah. And she's got hormones going nuts and yeah. She's infatuated with this guy and she's a little boy crazy. Mm-hmm. And and there's for as serious as she needs to be and all the responsibility she has, she's still got this inside of her And I think uh, that's you know, that, that needs to let itself out sure. and maybe maybe it's even healthier that she focuses it on this one person, <laughs> right? That's never around. Mm-hmm. Uh it's maybe a help helpful coping mechanism for her. Yeah. But
1: And I think that might be one reason why Gurm did it, is to is to remind us of where Danny's at you know de- developmentally
0: yeah. and everything but but I, uh, I agree with you it feels it feels yeah it's like all right fine you're telling me that she loves him okay mm-hmm. i don't understand why he doesn't offer anything right. other than maybe sex appeal although i read the description i'm like really yeah, exactly it's like you <laughs> <he's> not... <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> anyway so Kalisar... um females uh males uh of the persuasion that that find males attractive weigh in Is this dude attractive and matt and i are just not seeing it what is what is the deal with this infatuation well, it's like I'm... we don't get it went...
1: hashtag we don't get it going back to the concert i went to the lead singer of of, of all american rejects is this tall like lurpy dude He's just beans, thin, no muscle. He was out there in a, like a, a vest, like the vest of a three piece suit with no shirt under it and tight bell-bottom pants, matching colors, matching red colors. He has this long, greasy hair down to his shoulders as unattractive as you can be. And he came out and walked through the crowd and there were these beautiful women just throwing them them themselves at him, you know? And I just, I just don't get it. I just don't get All it. All right. Well, no, you've given me a hypothesis. He's a rock star.
0: Well, yes. So our uh, our cell sword captains, the rock stars, are the rock stars of are, of of Westeros of, or of, of Essos. Of this world case.
1: of the world of ice and fire.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Or you know, Danny just likes bad boys or something. Maybe it's definitely um, a bad boy thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I shouldn't
1: say definitely because.
0: And she does know. have, a, she's got a little kink in her, not judging her for it, uh, but she says something about, she calls Eerie to her bed, right? Yeah. And then she imagines, like, Dario wouldn't care if she said no, and I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> like, wow! <laughs> you're talking about this guy basically, like, roughing you up if you, uh, if you're not into it. That's, wow. Yeah. Okay, Danny. Okay, dude.
1: We're all into our own thing.
0: All right. So. <laughs> Didn't know we were going that way, but that's cool. <laughs> uh, all right. On that note. On that note. <laughs> God, we picked an awful one to end on. <laughs> I don't have anything else to talk about, though. <laughs> uh, I'll just say, just to redeem myself, I don't I don't necessarily trust Galera either. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with you there. That's it. Okay. Uh, shall we move on? Our final question from our patrons. Let's do it. Uh, So Misa asked,
1: well, you know what? I put this question in the notes, but I'm going to throw a curveball here too in case you'd like to answer a different one. Oh, geez. Misa asked two questions, and I'm just going to have each of us pick one. The first question she asked was, what is your favorite castle from A Song of Mm. Ice and Fire? I see we said palace there too um and then her next question is what would you name your sword hee 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 mesa <laughs> you think way too much like us yeah yeah she's
0: yep so i know you've got a sword name i do mhm uh it is the ribbled thrust <laughs> yep yeah that sounds more like a a
1: move than the name of the sword yep Yes, that is your answer. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is the name, and it is the move. I. Do you want me to? You want me to pick a castle too? Whew. I I just don't have anything else to say to that.
0: <laughs> I feel like I've answered the castle question before, uh, but I don't remember in what format. Uh, I, I like Storm's End. Mm-hmm. It's just this bastion of of human creation against the elements uh got some magic maybe woven Embused in with from some Brandon the Builder stuff, yeah um and uh super thick walls and just yeah never been taken uh yep yeah. I-, I like storms end okay the rip hub thrust
1: i got nothing on that man i just uh i can write songs but i can't come up with names Jeez, so I well, you write the songs. I'll name them for you. I settled on my sword name being uh, Icebreaker, both because mm. I am terrible at breaking the ice, so I need a sword mm. to do it for me, and because of my obvious love for hockey. So. <laughs> I
0: just <laughs> I just had this image of you like walking into a converse like a, a group of like. Of like four or five people in a circle. Uh And instead of like saying something to get in, you just like wedge your sword in between them and like part them with your sword. (laughs) The icebreaker.
2: you had
1: me coming in alternatively. I was thinking of just walking in with the sword and just being like whack on the table. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That would do too. Ice is broken. All right, very good. Uh, Castle, I'll go with uh, Winterfell it's just just a cool place i like the heated walls idea
0: yeah all that that's stuff. Cool. so i'm yep. a
1: practical man who likes his comforts so heated walls you could good. just move to the south and not even need that <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh where's the fun in that uh all right so let us end the main portion of our podcast right before we do, yeah. we wanted to, as we are wont to do, um, thank our Patreon supporters. So uh, we're going to do that real quick. We love you guys, and thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Um, we love all of you, but to those who are supporting us, we really appreciate the sacrifices you make to uh, to keep this podcast going, and it means a lot to us. So uh, do we just want to do our, our normal... Or normal thing Actus. why don't you go
0: first since you always complain about not getting this awesome first one
1: lord brandon brewer of castle black rune sworn ailsmith to house stark Grand Master of the xythomancer's guild and keeper of the buzz jacob m lady fattest red jeff h archmaster Rickard of Down Underos, Keeper of the Somnolent Gas Mysteries. Archmaester June, Healer of the Lesser Foxes. That one's my favorite, by the way. Right. Uh, Jeremy L. Josh C. Jamie K. Donnerus. Rory Con- Convery.
0: Sarah from Texas. Tana. Cinder at the Citadel. Lady b
1: Amy S. Connor, guardian of the Smoky Mountain
0: Pass and finally Misa, the queen of gifts and beauty thank you guys very much as Matt already said we appreciate it greatly yes we
1: do so now we are moving on from the main portion of the podcast so as Scad mentioned at the top of the episode, if you are not interested in spoilers, if you are reading the books for the first time, this is where you want to drop off uh, we are moving into our spoiler section Davos After Dark where we are going to go beyond the chapters that we have read and discuss everything that has been revealed and maybe more according to our own head uh, headcanons in this world of ice and fire, so thank you for joining us and now we begin, Davos after dark.
3: Davos after dark.
1: Let us discuss the comparisons and the similarities and the differences between Daenerys and Jon Snow. Uh, we saw that starkly this episode with Jon. Uh, both of them being in similar situations, right? Where they've, they've made a decision and they're trying to stick with that decision despite opposing viewpoints being hurled at them from all sides. And they deal with it, in, but in two kind of very different ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so... I'm going to even, even take a broader stroke at this mm-hmm. real quick. Yeah, I said it. Um, this series is called A Song of Ice and Fire. There are theories abound as to what that means. One of the basic ones, uh, you know, it has you know this idea of John being of ice and Danny being of fire, and their union causing ripples throughout the kingdom. Uh, it's you know it's one of the older ones. It's one of the I think one of the most likely still to to come to pass is them, you know, getting together or or at least coming together.
1: Yeah, God that's... damn
0: it! I didn't mean that. Well maybe. <laughs> maybe, but I didn't mean that. I just meant their their forces joining together uh to save the kingdom in uh, some just way. Just as bad. Right. So uh I don't know how to get around it. The euphemisms are strong in me. So the point being, uh Ice and fire are opposites, Danny and John are opposites they deal with these struggles and these these complications differently in 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 opposite ways john has grabbed leadership by the balls and is taking his own counsel is telling people literally to just walk away if he doesn't want to hear from them anymore and is ruling in his in his way even being challenged by a king in stannis uh you know, and, and not really backing down, but giving him lip. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's taking a very aggressive and argumentative approach to his rule, and Danny is exactly the opposite. She immediately brings in people from the culture around her uh, to advise her, with Galazagaleer and uh, the Shave Pate and uh, the Seneschal uh, Resnak. Um, she, you know, she immediately brings in uh, Selmy earlier. Um, you know, she's, she's very much about bringing people in to advise and trying to appease them. Not to say that she can't make decisions and can't make hard ones because she does, but she's very much into, I want to appease the people and make them happy and, Mm -hmm. and, and see them to a good place. Mm -hmm. And John is much more, this is the way it is. It's the way it's got to be period.
1: Yep. And, you know, we talked about in, in the notes that John, perhaps not giving more to Bowen and and those on uh, in Bowen's camp, more could have, you know, potentially contributed to John's eventual demise, his, mm-hmm. his death at the end of A Dance with
0: Dragons, but which Dolores had references right. He talks about the pomegranate, the yeah. pomegranate and choking on the seeds, which is right. brilliant. Yeah. We didn't
1: talk about uh, old Ed much. His Ed saids were much. okay, but they weren't. They weren't as
0: as no, on point as, as good some as of usual. his other Ed
1: saids. So, yeah. Um, but you know, Danny, she she seems like she spends so much time and energy, just like trying to explain her decisions and explain herself to all these people. That you know, it suddenly makes John's uh, decisiveness seem a little bit more appealing. <laughs> She's got the and line in there where she's like, "I know, I know, I do know," but yeah. it's just like, "Danny, you're expending so much energy just trying to explain yourself, and you don't have to."
0: Yep, and yet, and yet, we know that John's decisiveness throughout his leadership mm-hmm. creates enemies for him, sure, that lead to him being stabbed literally in the back, and mm-hmm. uh, inside and everywhere else you can think. Right, uh, and. And we know that Danny. I don't know that it's a, a as direct a relationship, but Danny's situation boils over to the point where she stares down one of her own dragons and then rides away on it, escaping from the reality she's created. And we don't know what's going to happen to her, but very much a you know maybe not a response necessarily exactly to I'm trying to appease everyone, but very much for sure related to the situation she's created for herself mm-hmm. and trying to escape it and, and then, then escape, you know, where will that go? Right. So they, so they've, you've got these two people kind of in these extreme examples of leadership and how they're approaching it. And they both switch places to the point where like it, it's led them to these, these extreme areas where they have to change something perhaps drastically. Um, you know, assuming John comes back, mm-hmm. which I, I can't imagine he won't. Um, you know a major character. He is. That, you know, how's he going to change and how will Danny change now that she's kind of whatever she's, she's, she's realized with, with Drogon, how will they change? Will they realize that they've been too extreme in their leadership methods? Will they swing too far the other way?
1: Right. Yeah. What's the, what's the backpedaling going to be like?
0: It's been, it's been one of my favorite things. Mm Mm-hmm. To, to read it is just how Dan and Johnny, Danny and Dan John, Johnny, Danny and John, <laughs> Jesus, tanning, Jadam, tanning, Jadam, how Danny and John, uh, approach leadership and how their, how their arcs kind of compare to each other. I didn't, I, I don't, I feel like an idiot. The first couple of times I read these books, I just didn't make these right, we didn't comparisons make the connections. And, and stuff. They're so obvious and, now. I'm so glad we're doing this podcast that we can slow down and do that mm-hmm. uh, because it makes me feel like a smarter man. <laughs> Aww. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just very interested to see where this goes Yeah. with the two of them on their arcs. I agree.
1: Okay, well, let's jump over to Doran here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. I know you're a Doran fan, so I want you to defend your hill here. <laughs> I <laughs> I'm a I'm a Doran fan too. This this read has really made me like Doran. However, I have worked at the downfall of Tywin Lannister since the day they told me of Aaliyah and her children. What has he done? What is what has he done to take steps towards the downfall of Tywin Lannister? I mean honest
0: like well, Well, he thinks that he's set up these marriage plans to bring Targaryens back, join them, and end the Lannister line by joining with the Targaryens and retaking the kingship. That's what he thinks he's done. So the marriages. That's what I think he's referring to, yeah. I mean, I think he's over-dramatizing it. Mm-hmm. I have worked at the downfall of Tywin Lannister since the day... Well, you know, I made a couple phone calls and set up some alliances.
1: That's what I'm getting at.
0: It's been a lot of waiting. Right. <laughs> like, couldn't you have just poisoned him somehow? Or, like, you know, like... It, I, he, he says in there, you know, if, if Tyrion hadn't, hadn't killed him himself and robbed me of the joy of bringing him low... Um, you know, I would have done it. It's kind of like the guy that the the shrimp that's uh, pretending to have his friends hold him back in a fight against a big guy, <laughs> right? It's like what? It, what's who's what's been holding you back? You just waited until Tyrion killed him to complain about it, right? Like you could have tried something, you know. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I I like Doran, I do, but this statement seemed a little. It seems a like much.
1: my 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 girl's giving me sass and I'm trying to answer her back and maybe like, I it's like when my <laughs> wife when my wife says Did you call the people about the did you call the uh the the people to come spray for spiders and stuff? Or are they coming yet? Well I asked people on Facebook who I should call, but I'm working on yeah. it, okay? I'm working
0: <laughs> on it. I'm working on it. Exactly. Yeah, it's like what did you do really? Well, you know what? They will burn. Um, but I've been yeah, looking I, uh, at the downfall of those spiders. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, you know, there, there are smaller things, you know, like um, the, uh, the marriages that he set up, all the secrecy, you know, the fact that he's treated his kids uh, in the way he has to keep, keep it mm-hmm. on the down low. There are littler things that all revolve around that, but I assume he's just talking about that plot.
1: Yeah, and and sending Oberyn
0: to King's Landing could have been him finally Part of putting
1: some wheels in motion and stuff too.
0: Yeah, Oberyn was supposed to go and collect information mm-hmm. and not get in a deadly duel with a mountain of a man. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, so like is he is he conspiring against Tywin? Yes. Has he made a career of it? I don't know. Yeah. For sure.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Because it seems like he didn't attempt to look out for Viserys. I don't know what he could have done, but I don't know. But he does seem like he's got kind of a network in, in Essos. Maybe a little yeah. bit from his wife and yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, I feel like he didn't properly prepare Quentin for his mission. No. Nope. Oh, right now. uh, yep. He places a lot of hope in the whole Dothraki Alliance and the Golden Company and stuff like that. I don't know.
0: I don't know. No, I, yeah, I, I, I told you, I think, sometime last week, that I had a scad rant coming, and it kind of diffused under itself. Mm. But it, it was around this whole idea, like Doran does not actually set his kids up to succeed,
2: mm-hmm.
0: nor, nor his plots. Mm-hmm. He kind of sets. It's like, it's like, um, it's like you used to say Tywin did, right? Like he would kind of set things in motion and then sit back and watch them occur. Except, like, he's the bizarro world of Tywin, where all these things he set in motion just implode upon themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's somehow not doing the work to make them come to fruition. Right? But they like, still whereas, do, somehow. <laughs> well, for Tywin, they do. Yeah, exactly. What I'm saying is, for Doran, he's, he's the bizarro world of Ty- Tywin, where the stuff just doesn't work out. I see, yep. Right? And maybe that means he's not putting the work in, or maybe it means Tywin's really lucky, or, you know, I don't know. But, yeah. But I, I did I did also question um you know like if 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 it's revenge they're after, he has that great bit that you mentioned in your summary, um revenge, something else, fire and blood. Um but 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 reven like Tywin's dead, Lorch is dead, the mountain is dead. What, what now? What what revenge are they after now? Mm-hmm. He's still going with these plots, but it's not revenge anymore. Unless he's just going after Cersei for lack of a better target, like, what's their target now? Right. Revenge feels like a a glass that's already been consumed. You know, it's, it's empty.
1: Right. Right. So is Doran is Doran kind of power hungry behind well, his humble gouty
0: frame? Is that what you're hinting at? Maybe. I sometimes. Uh... I don't know what a good example is. I'm sure that you know media is rife with them. But like, sometimes you focus on something for so long, mm-hmm. and th- and then it's gone, and you don't know what else to do. Mm. You're already you've already got so much momentum in a direction that like you, you can't seem to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a bit of that going on. But yeah, he's certainly proceeding as if they need to like seize the crown or something. When it's like, what's best for Dorne, man? Because your revenge has been had. Whether you brought it about or not, it's over. Right. You know, Cersei didn't kill anybody. I mean, well, that's not true. Cersei <laughs> didn't kill any of the Dornish people that he's upset about, unless unless they're really harboring the Oberyn thing, which which makes me feel like, you know, you talked about George maybe forcing some stuff with the, uh, with the relationship with Dario. Like, are, is he trying to force us to think that they should be angry about Oberyn, when like the intelligent readers should just be like. Dumbass got himself killed. Mm-hmm. People love Oberyn, so like maybe they, you know, maybe they just make that relationship of like, yeah, he didn't deserve to die, but like he totally did deserve to die. <laughs> he volunteered for a fight to the death, and he that's, lost the fight. Yeah, like that's the way it works in this world. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be angry about that. I don't know why anyone is.
1: Yeah. So does Doran just uh, want to see? The Martell's uh, on the throne and, and uh, you know, supporting Targaryens while he's at it. So they're seeing Targaryens as yeah. the best way to get there.
0: Maybe. I mean, I didn't do a ton of research on this, but the Dornish have a history of being close to the crown. Yep. Being, you know, being suitors to the crown. Um, you know, maybe Dorn feels like it's his job to get, maybe that's part of it is, you know, to replace Elia in the government, you know, to, to get them back where they were place of prominence or something, yeah. but that's not revenge, yeah, that's
1: certainly not, yeah, certainly not, okay, um, you know some of these things that I had originally highlighted to talk about we kind of talked about already mm-hmm. uh we talked about Tyrion's reasons for doing what he did to Aegon. Do you feel like there's anything more in Davos after Dark that you wanted to discuss that went into the realm of spoilers? Uh, why Tyrion was trying to get Aegon to go west,
0: no, I feel like kind of we did you're right we did kind of cover it. I don't have any deep answers mm-hmm. um seem seems to me like Tyrion liked reading about the dragons, liked educating aegon about the dragons, would have liked to meet dragons so i don't i don't I don't know why he's why he's trying to force him in this opposite direction. It's a legitimate question for me is why is he doing this? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I don't know.
1: Yep, I would agree. Um, I think we covered it in the main portion of the cast. We also answered. Well, we briefly talked. Who leads the Harpies? Is it Hisdar? Is it the Green Grace, or are they just well connected within the organization of the Harpies? What um, do you think? I'm 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 gonna go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that the Green Grace is kind of like this mob boss type lady. Yeah. I think she's kinda of pulling some strings.
0: Yeah, I kinda of think so too. And I don't I don't necessarily think she always was that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but she became that way when, you know, the need arose. I, I don't know that she's evil necessarily. She's just looking out for what she thinks is best for the Marinese and um yeah, has has taken to that role. I think I'm with you. I I believe that she's probably in charge.
1: Nice. Yeah. And so his dark can say with all confidence.
0: I'm not the harpy. Yeah. Yeah. He has yeah.
1: plausible deniability maybe. But he knows yeah, but enough you... to confidently say I can stop
0: this. But at the same time, they're all Negan. Uh you don't watch Walking Dead, so that probably fell flat, but yep. um they're all they're all the harpy, right? Like if they're involved, they're involved. Um so I think he probably is involved. Yeah.
1: So I'm going to replace, uh, the question, sorry to throw this curveball at you, but I actually really like this question and I think it's pertinent, um, to this set of chapters. Does Tyrion have grayscale? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if well, so, we do, go ahead. our simple answer is we don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah. No signs of it yet. Uh, could be slow acting. Um, mm-hmm. But if so, how will this
0: affect everything in the end? Well, um, you can look at this from a few different perspectives. Uh, first of all, grayscale as a as a device uh, in 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 the work. Uh, we have Shireen with grayscale. We have Connington with grayscale. Um, you know, do we think grayscale is going to end up being such an active force as to uh, affect? one of the main POVs in the books to a large degree. You know, some some people I think I've read, you know, are like, oh yeah, Grayscale's going to be somehow brought to the populace and it's going to just wreck Westeros. It's going to totally destroy it, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, that seems it seems maybe a bridge too far-ish to me. Um, would it be interesting, the other perspective is like, you know, just from Tyrion's character arc perspective, uh, which, you know, to me, I like to think that George is always writing within, within the arcs of his characters to get them places. Um, does that do anything really interesting to Tyrion? I don't know. Uh, you can't overcome grayscale, really, right? I, I like to think of Tyrion's story as, you know, down, up, mm-hmm. way da- way down, maybe even further down. And like, is there some sort of redemption occurring for this guy or not? And grayscale to me just kind of complicates it and gets it in the way. Um But if that's true, then why bring it up ever? Why why even play at it? Oh, I well, see what you're saying. Then then if then, then so if you're saying it's not going to affect Tyrion, then it was only a plot device to bring it to Tyrion as a possibility to get us to acknowledge grayscale as something that's dangerous maybe in a minor enough way just because it's leading to Jon Connington, or is it in a, ma- a more major way? Mm-hmm. That was a really long way to say, I don't think Tyrion has Grayscale.
1: <laughs> no, that was a very thoughtful answer, and it got me thinking about a few things. Namely that you know, one of the reasons they talk about Connington being okay with the plan to invade Westeros now is knowing that he has Grayscale, right? And mm-hmm. wanting to see Rhaegar's son on the throne before he eventually succumbs to it. He's got a
0: um, sense of doom about him a little bit, right? Sure,
1: and that and that yep. ignites a sense of urgency, right? <clears throat> and I can't help but wonder if if that same thing will happen with Tyrion if if grayscale does start to manifest itself and forces Tyrion to take a look at his life and prioritize things. Mm, and, that would be
0: an interesting way to do his arc, yeah. And, and maybe like that. you know
1: speed up uh, some 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 development. Of Tyrion becoming, you know, who, who, as we talked about during his chapter, who he could be, and he wants to be, yeah. And you think about his relationship with Penny right now, and where that's at, and how that's kind mm-hmm. of weird and stuff, and and that could lead to some interesting things. But,
0: be- don't know. Because you have you have to ask the question, like, what does Tyrion want? Mm-hmm. And like, and and will he admit what he wants to himself? And you're right, maybe the grayscale is a device to. Uh, to drive him to realize what it is that he really wants. Alright, you heard it here. Matt and Scat disagree about whether Tyrion has Grayscale. We haven't disagreed for a while. We do it so politely <laughs> now. We do it so politely. Uh, I, know. I think I told you I was listening to that old episode with with uh, the three of us, just kind of on a whim. And, uh, the amount of just, like, mockery between the three of us was... It was much higher back then.
1: Uh, <laughs> and we thought anyway. that... That, when it went to the two of us, that there would be like no referee between us, and things could get out of hand, and yeah, the exact opposite has happened
0: yeah no it was it was it was Brooke that was like doing the eye gouging, maybe <laughs> of course it was uh, lover
1: uh well, um I think I've arrived at the end I had highlighted one more thing to talk about with John Connington, but I feel that might be better served for a John Connington chapter. For later. So sure. let's wait on that one and uh, and sign off. So let's sign off here. Uh, this is Matt signing off with another heavy sign-off. Uh, just found out today that Chester Bennington, who is one of the lead singers of Linkin Park, um, ended his life today. Uh, an apparent suicide. I wasn't a huge Linkin Park fan, but just losing another Prominent member of the music community and, and a husband and a father He leaves behind six children apparently uh, is just It's just One of those things that causes to make you think He apparently um, suffered Pretty severely from depression Since childhood And uh, it just I don't know, I didn't rehearse this at all or anything But you guys You know, depression's a real thing And, and people struggle from it every day And I probably don't understand it To the levels that some of you do But I do know that if, you know, if you're thinking today is your last day, please just give it one more and, you know, tomorrow, give it one more day after that. And tomorrow, one day after that, uh, when we talk to you guys mostly over social media, you know, you may think that it's just us trying to be a good podcast and cater to our fans and stuff, but no, Scott and I talk about you guys all the time. And we really do care about you. If you need someone to talk to, we will be there in a heartbeat but, uh, just just hang in there and know that we're thinking about you, and we care about you, so that's me signing off with that,
0: yeah, in response, um, you know, to that, I guess I'd say, I agree with Matt, um, it is not the worst idea to talk to a nearly complete stranger that's willing to listen, that you have some sort of uh some sort of connection to and um if you feel that at all and, and want to talk i would certainly be willing um it feels weird even just offering something like that but 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 absolutely <laughs> reach reach out to somebody uh if it's us we'll gladly take you mm-hmm. know take the call um yeah that's that's heavy stuff
2: right
1: so Yep. on that really downer note <laughs> but sincere sincere uh, I right. guess that's it for us so good yep. night everybody
0: thanks Kalisar. Hey, good night Also, could I ask for a reprieve of, like, a minute while I go grab a soda? Sure. All right. You can rap or sing or, you know, whatever it is that you do. I will.
1: No good rap tracks are coming to mind, people. But I did just go to a Dashboard Confessional concert. And my favorite line of any Dashboard song.
3: And you stood at my door with your hands on my waist and you kissed me like you meant it and I knew that you meant it that you meant it
1: John and a oh here comes Scott
3: shh alright I'm back
0: sweet let's do it lord of the rings is on up there i had to like not look for fear of being sucked in oh boy oh boy (laughs) all right go for it
1: i just pulled it out of pulled it out of my past
0: as a child that was one of my favorites oh i read them too this this is weird sorry guys you're gonna have to live (laughs) with the fact that matt and i are friends and just want to talk about shit sometimes uh i went to a A random uh, cabin that, like, a few of my friends got together and and rented for the weekend. And in the stupid little narrow bookcase in the room that that my wife and I were in at this this cabin was the Boxcar Children. Oh, book one? Uh Uh-huh. And I read the whole thing in, like, 30 minutes. It's like this... (laughs) Like, I remembered it being, like, this reasonably big thing, but... Yeah. Anyway... Uh, Let me tell you, it doesn't hold up very well. <laughs> didn't give you a chubby? No, no, it didn't. <laughs> um, but it did have that nice old book smell that you get sometimes. Sure, sure.
3: Yeah, I got so a, fun.
0: I got some, some work done on, on uh, a car recently, and the guy that was driving the shuttle to get me to where I needed to go when I dropped the car off, he's like, yeah, man. I just want to get off the grid, I want to build a cabin, just disappear. I'm like, hmm. cool man, I'm not like that at all. And like, the rest <laughs> of the conversation was like, I mean, it, it was a short trip, but like, we had, we could talk about nothing. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't put it any other way, it's like, you and I are so different, there's no point in even trying. And I think, it's a little sad, because I think there was a time in my life where I'd have been like, cool, alright, let's find some common ground, and I'm just so... I'm just so set in my ways now that I was just like, I'm not going to bother.
1: Yeah, it's not even worth it. I'm not... First of all, I <laughs> I love being on
0: the grid. I thrive on the grid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like the grid also needs me, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, it's a mutual relationship thing. We got something good going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you get to, yeah, I totally feel you. It's just people, you're like, you know what? I'm never going to talk to you again after this car
0: ride. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I wasn't rude
1: to him, really. It's fine. I, no, like, no I, it's just, yeah. I, I mean, you don't want to talk to him. Yeah. I'm that way with most people. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the episode tonight. We hope that you enjoyed it. We also hope you enjoyed some of the music we threw in there. Uh, some good, some okay, and some more good. From the good side, we had On Bended Knee by Boys to Men from their album, 2. Guys, if you don't own this album, you are doing yourself a serious disservice. If you are still dating, if you are married, you are doing your love life a disservice by not having this album. Get it. The album is called 2 by Boys to Men. I'm not even a huge R&B fan, and it's one of my favorite albums of all time. Next, not as great a song, but still catchy, Gives You Hell by the All-American Rejects off of their album When the World Comes Down, reminding us again that sellsword captains are the rock stars of the world of ice and fire. And then finally, we had uh, in honor of Mr. Chester Bennington and his passing, we uh, we ended the episode with "My December" by Lincoln Park from their album Hybrid Theory. Many thanks to B Word for one of our um, favorite blood writers and friends and all around great people with super cute kids uh, for pointing us to that song. She uh, I tweeted out asking for poignant. Lyrics by Linkin Park, and she pointed me to that one, and uh, it was perfect. Absolutely wonderful. So, uh, anyways, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We sure love doing it. We sure love, uh, you know, getting together every three weeks, hopefully giving something to you guys that can uh, make you smile for a couple hours. So, take it easy. Have a good rest of your week, a good evening, and we'll catch you next time. Good night.